Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Is tonight going to be a special night? Podcast audience, YouTube audience can't hear most of this song. I guess a little bit of it for the YouTube audience. I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. Is tonight going to be a generational shifting night for the Indiana Pacers? I've thought about maybe just doing this the whole day, not listening to Black Eyed Peas, even though I suppose we could do that. But uh, pressing a little button called Sim Lottery on Tankathon, and the Pacers <laughs> went down one spot to eight. So uh, I did not quite have the luck that uh, one of my brothers did, who sent me a screenshot today first try. Shout out to Rich Cook. Pacers got the number one spot in his uh, alleged <laughs> simulation. So that's really all you can do outside of looking at what's available in the NBA draft as a whole. Obviously following the combine that, that, that's took place yesterday it's going on in chicago and between now and then finally figuring out where exactly you're going to draft and if you're getting a true generational talent if you're able to somehow pull out the number one pick i'm jimmy cook along with james boyd and eddie garrison here on the fan midday show james this is the day that every team that's in the lottery has been waiting for since their seasons came to a close for the pacers they are benefited by the change a couple of years ago with the NBA draft lottery odds currently holding with a roughly 6.8% chance to land that top pick overall. They won a tie break with Washington last month to set themselves up for no worse than where the wizards are in terms of that standing. So they'll finish better than them regardless, but it's still them a whole host of 14 more teams and an opportunity to be able to capture Wimbanyama and change your franchise forever. How are you feeling so far? Uh, eight hours, less than eight hours and counting until the NBA draft lottery. Hashtag Wimby to Indy. Yes. Okay. It's happening. Put it on t-shirt. Got to do it. You got to keep trademark it. it. There you go. You know, <laughs> get in contact with Wimby's reps and tell him all he needs to know when he gets here to Indianapolis, you know, we'll meet up at St. Elmo and have a nice dinner and discuss his future here in this beautiful city. But I mean, I'm a guy of positivity, so I'm always going to just say it's going to happen until we find out what's going to happen because it is what it is. But realistically, I think if the Pacers don't drop at all, obviously that's a benefit. But if they can move up to that top five range, that would be a huge win for them because I do think this is a deeper draft class than it was last year. And there's a lot of players in this class I think that could be perennial all-star type of guys. And again, if you can get one of those six, seven, six, eight type of players on a Pacers roster, that would be huge for their development and what they could look like in the future. It's hard to sit here and bang on the table and say that we think something's going to happen or we're hoping for something to happen when ordinarily towards like the end of the season, you're like, yeah, the Pacers lose a couple games here. That's in their control. This is obviously something like any lottery system where it's out of our control. It's out of the Pacers control. It's out of everybody control, but whoever is controlling the, uh, the, the lottery ping pong machine that they use and that they'll post on YouTube, uh, you know, an hour or so immediately following the NBA draft lottery. When you look at where, the lottery has been for the Pacers and there haven't been a ton of opportunities for them over the course of their history. When you're going on um, real GM's website, which is a site that tracks a, a ton of different basketball historical trends and standpoints. And this one obviously just skewed toward the draft lottery as a whole, 85, 86, 88, 89, 97, 07, 08, 09, 10, 15, 21, 
22. Those are the Pacers draft lottery years. Only one time have they moved up. That was back in 1988. They started at... They went up five spots is what ended up where they finished. They got the second pick in that draft. Uh, they were seventh to start. That was the year they got Rick Smiths. Outside of that, there's been no movement, negative or positive, prior to last year when they fell one spot, started at fifth, ended with the sixth pick, and that's it. There's not a high trust the process type of lottery scenario for this team. For the most part, it's been fairly 30 wins, 30 plus win seasons right in the middle or or bottom middle of the pack in terms of where you're going to be from a lottery position. This again, potentially the last you would think time in this current era of the Pacers that you're going to be this far down the standings to have a greater than a puncher's chance to be able to land the number one pick this year. And when you look at where this roster is at right now, we talk about wings, right? We talk about the need for a better effort on the defensive end from some of the current players on this team. A lot of that is based on youth, but you've talked about it. You feel like that when you look at this draft from top to bottom, there are going to be areas to fill those holes and find high level contributors, even if it is in that five to 10 range versus the top of the draft. Like we'd like to see them at. Absolutely. I think a guy like, you know, the Thompson twins from uh overtime elite, mm-hmm. those guys could be really good fits for the Pacers Anthony Black from Arkansas could be a pretty good uh, pick. You know, Grady Dick from Kansas. Like, you need guys who can shoot and, and have the length and have the athleticism to translate into the NBA. And so there is a lot of talent in this class. Obviously, I'm not a scout, so I can't tell you, you know, who is number one on their big board or anything like that. But I do, you know, have a pretty good, I would say, casual following of these players. I see them all the time on social media and I've watched games with them in them as far as the college players. And so, you know, those are guys who would be beneficial to this team and their development. And I would say this, you know, the Pacers are just due for some good luck, man. You know, they had number one pick back in 1978, traded it away uh, and that was the same year that Larry Bird was drafted. He did not go number one overall, so it wasn't like the Pacers were the only team that passed on him. He actually went back to school and didn't join the NBA until 1979. But, you know, I'm just feeling like after all these years, um, after you kind of <laughs> spurned yourself by not taking Larry Bird, if you get a chance to land the number one pick, get Victor Wimbanyamba, who is already, you know, being labeled as a franchise player, or someone who, you know, if all things go well, he'll be a future Hall of Famer. And so, Obviously, those are big expectations, and honestly, it feels like the LeBron type of expectations where you'd be shocked if he actually reaches them because of how high people are on him, but again, more realistically, if they can get in that top five range, I think it's a win, and even if they just stay where they are, it's still a win Um, because, as you said, Jimmy, this feels like a turning of the page. I don't think, unless something goes disastrously, next season and someone gets hurt like if Miles or Tyrese and I'm not speaking that I'm just saying you know if one of those two gets hurt and they're out for an extended period of time that's the only way I could see the Pacers being bad enough to be in the lottery again and quite frankly if Tyrese hadn't gotten hurt this past season we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now and so that was like a blessing in disguise because I felt like maybe they were uh a little ahead of the curve and I was like wait a second like are they actually going to make the playoffs this year and so this gives them a chance to add another piece and you know add a obviously a discounted rate because it'll be a rookie contract 
and then also it's it's a, it's homegrown, which is always better because you can, you know, mold them and build them in your city. And hopefully, when that time comes to resign and things like that, they won't feel inclined to run away from it. They'll be proud of what they've done here. So um, I'm excited to see what happens, and I'll be glued into the ping pong balls. I wish I was in Chicago like I was last year, but <laughs> it just seems like obviously the energy this year is different because there's such a generational player at the top of this board. Take us through that process since you were there last year, and I, I don't want to. I want to allow you to paint that picture for us. Were you on stage when the envelopes were announced or were you in the back room where they allow some media members to be involved with the actual uh, drawing of said ping pong ball? Yeah, so I felt like it would be better actually for me to be out into you know the actual lobby and not really in like the uh, in the room, mainly because if they had like a later lottery pick then maybe I would do it but I was figuring hey I want to be able to tweet or and text because when you go back in that room talk to other reporters about it you can't take your phone right. so you can't like it's tweet like a Netflix it out. comedy special exactly and so you can't um you can't relay anything for I believe like 10 or 15 minutes until after the news has come out and by that time my story if I'm already out in the you know in the lobby or whatever I've already posted my story. I've already, you know, reacted to it on Twitter. And so it takes a while. So it is a cool experience. But I think, you know, for example, I know my buddy James Edwards III, who covers uh, the Pistons for The Athletic, you know, he'll be there. I doubt that he will be back there in the room because there's no benefit to it. You won't be able to react as soon as possible to what happens. And um, for me, the, the way it's set up is they have all the players and not all the players, but they usually have a lot of the top players come to the draft lottery. They have them sitting off in their own section. So last year I saw Paolo and Chet and all these other guys. And then you see the other um, representatives coming in. Last year I believe Damian Lillard represented the you know the uh, the Blazers. Mm-hmm. And so this year Tyrese will be there. And so they have media rows set up in this big conference room at the McCormick Place. Shout out to my aunt. She works there. Been there working there for like 20 years now. And so downtown Chicago is basically just you walk in, you sit down, and then you just wait for them to announce it. And really, it's not, you know, that big of a deal. I feel like the TV shows are more of a spectacle. You kind of see them going on in the background. But if you're there, it's like as soon as the board gets, you know, uh, announced – you're just locked into your laptop and trying to get reaction. And then we usually we step out in the hall and talk to Kevin Pritchard, talk to you know Rick Carlisle if he's there, talk to Tyrese, get his reaction, and things like that. But the biggest thing is just how the board looks. And it's always funny because no one outside of that room knows. So you're seeing the reaction in real time from the athletes, the GMs, the coaches, the players. And so you're eyeing them to see what their reaction is too. And that's always cool. And so you know obviously the, the biggest breath that gets held is always when it gets down to those last two because because as soon as they announced number two, you know who's number one. And so um, that's that's usually the happiest person. Last year was not the Pacers, but I do think that they were very happy with who they ended up with. I remember last year, KP and Rick Carlisle spoke to Benedict Mather right after the lottery, like in the lobby. And I was thinking, hmm, that's something I'm going to file away and remember. And they seemed to be really interested in talking to him more than other players that were there and it turns out that ended up being their guy and I'm sure they had other vetting processes going on and you know they talked to Jay Ivey and other players but it ended up being Benedict Mather and ended up working out very well for them so um but again I'm gonna keep hashtagging you know Wimby the Indy (laughs) you mentioned the spectacle Mm -hmm. and you've been a part of even in you know all three of us in our young careers you've been a part of some incredible moments you've seen some some crazy scenes you talk about the spectacle that television provides. Well, back home, and I know you know this because you've seen it on TV and obviously been there in person now uh, for the NBA draft lottery. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they take a commercial break after like the first 
six picks are announced just to build the drama mm-hmm. and the anticipation. What is the sense of anxiety? Is it, is it palpable in that room as it is described on TV? Or is it very much just a, another laid back process that is, I know I'm making you peel behind the curtain here, but it yeah. does. It feels very tense across the board when they take that commercial break in between the first announcement of picks. I think it is because you just don't know how the ping pong balls are going to go unless you're in that room. And then if you're in the room, you can't announce it. And so I was sitting out there like everyone else and it's exciting. I can't help it. I get excited like a fan would because even as a writer, you want to know who you might potentially be covering. And in this case, there is a consensus. Number one, you know exactly who will be getting that player. And so the funny thing about it will be, to me, in my opinion, is whoever ends up with the number one pick tonight, will they just come out and say they're going to draft Victor Wimbanyamba? Because if you're going to really sit and tell me to my face, oh, we're going to go through the entire process and consider everyone, I don't want to hear that Like from any team. like Be for real. I don't want to hear any of that. This is just a different class. And so maybe we'll get more of um, some honesty tonight when it comes to number one pick, and then we'll get, you know, how it falls from there. But, again, a lot of good players. You know, Brandon Miller's out there. I know he's got the stuff that went on in Alabama as far as the gun and things like that. You have to vet that and feel comfortable about his character. But on court play, he's a really good player. And then you talk about, like I said, the Thompson twins. You talk about Scoot Henderson, who's, you know, a great guard coming out of the G League at night. So there's a lot of talent there and um, a lot of tension because you want to be the person that – is able to control your destiny at that right. point. Because that's when you know what you can do and what you can't do. You know, unlike the NFL where it's pretty, you know, cut and dry, you got the worst record, get the number one pick. It's not how it works in the NBA. And that adds a little more drama and theatrics to it. So maybe it is a little bit, you know, built up on TV and with the TV, you know, uh, commercials and things like that. But there is, I think, a healthy level of tension in the room because you're deciding essentially you're the future of your franchise. And again, this year of all years, you get the golden ticket if you get women Yamba. This feels like a classic year where all the lights are pointing towards women Yama. I'm in the women Yama camp. You're in the Wembenyama camp. I don't know where Eddie stands on the matter. Um, but this feels like the year where everything's pointing to him as a consensus number one overall pick. And you mentioned that, how direct will franchises be? Because we were discussing this a little bit before the show started. If we're entertaining, not the Pacers, because I, I don't want this to happen if Indiana was to win the lottery and then go in a direction outside of Wembenyama. But you're looking at the opportunity for maybe a treasure trove of assets or players if you're wanting to move back from that number one spot if it's me and you've already kind of banged the drum for the hashtag too I feel like you're in the same boat if it's me it would have to be I mean just absolutely astronomical I'm talking like three or four future first round picks I'm talking a a a generational talent to go along with it because if you're wrong and you make a trade like that if you're the Pistons or whatever and you trade back after securing the number one overall pick and you're wrong you're setting your franchise back decades if you miss on this and i don't know for me that's just that's too that's why i'm not in those chairs that's too much pressure to even think about Jimmy oh hey this negativity we're this morning call from san antonio <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> you make a good point that there is a lot of at stake here and this is why they get paid the big bucks and it's not a proven science i mean no one knew stephen curry was going to be the greatest shooter ever. Otherwise, he would have went number one instead of number seven. No one thought Giannis would be who he is or he would have went number one instead of 15. Same thing with Kawhi. 
Paul George. Like these are players that you would have imagined. Yep, yeah, yep. you would have thought. I mean, Jokic is the biggest one right. of them all because basically the Tom Brady equivalent of the yeah, NBA. Yeah, I was going to say there's only two rounds to work with, right? Truly, I mean, he was never expected to be who he is now, and so there are some stakes there. Got to get some skin in the game, but. Again, I think the ping pong balls just makes it even more um, dicey because you don't have control over it. You can get, I mean, if you're a GM in a situation where you're trying to change your franchise or you're feeling like you're on the hot seat and those ping pong balls don't bounce the right way for you and you drop from, I don't know, four to eight or something like that, that could change a lot as far as the talent you get and what you get back you know, in the draft. And so, again, I'm excited for it because the suspension is there. But at the same time, I love to just finally find out things like everyone else. Like, okay, this is what we're working with. The speculation is over. It's fun. I mean, I was on Tankathon this morning as well, you know, hitting my simulations and never got the patience to go number one, but they got to like number two, you know, one time. So that wouldn't be bad either. Nice constellation. So we'll see. I'm just going to keep preaching positivity until we find out. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Good vibes all around. Took me 15 tries. I uh, finally got a number one pick for the Pacers there. So that's kind of going to be the name of the game throughout today's show. But I want to shift back to the NBA and look big picture for a second because you and I have discussed, Jimmy Cook and James Boyd here on the Fan Midday Show, you and I have discussed over the last couple of weeks that it feels like the Eastern Conference has, I don't know if I'd go so far to say as a power vacuum, but it has opportunities ripe for the taking in terms of where playoff seating is. And you look at the roster construction of a number of the different playoff teams that were in the East Milwaukee is likely to bounce back, right? Likely to be a top dog once again. They're going to be a perennial contender for as long as Giannis is on a basketball court. But you have now yet another coach to the chopping block and 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 you know chopped off in that regard in Doc Rivers as the 76ers part ways. And that was a team where we were discussing with some of the national conversation around it with some national beat writers and correspondents that the 76ers are a team that belong in terms of the top of the conference, right? They they have a a good young core there built around Joel Embiid, even though it's uncertain what James Harden is going to do or want to do this offseason. Felt like this was a very positive year for the 76ers. Something else you and I were discussing, though, before the show, how much of this, in your mind, this decision was based around the continual... I don't want to call them missteps, but there's a long streak in regards to Doc Rivers' ability to close out series as of late when his team has a lead. I know this was a perennial contender in the Celtics they were up against, but it's hard to not imagine that they were going to come away scot-free with nobody getting the axe, and this time it was the head coach who gave them their best winning season since the Allen Iverson days when they made it to the finals. Yeah, I felt like this was maybe the least surprising of the coaching fires because... Doc Rivers, I mean, you can't discredit him. He won a championship 2008 with the Boston Celtics. And as much as people try to discredit rings, it is very hard to win them, even just once. But on the flip side, he's 17-34 and when holding a 3-1 or 3-2 lead in playoff series. 17-34. and He's lost a lot of series where his team has held a lead. And I think that is more of the big picture reason why he wasn't retained. And so there's also a lot of moving parts going on with Philly. Is the process over? Like, did you run, did that run its course? James Harden, his future, are they going to bring him back? Is the Houston pipeline real? Would he go back there? Um, And so these are things you have to figure out. And also, I don't 
want to dismiss the fact that his job was tied to the inability of his stars. So as much as you want to criticize him, and I think it's fair, and as I've always said to Jimmy, for better or worse, right or wrong, the coach is always the first thing to go in major sports when things don't go well. Joel Embiid and James Harden played awful in Game 7, and they need to be held accountable for that. That was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from two guys together. They combined for 24 points. James Harden had nine points. I believe I saw a stat this morning, it was ESPN, where he hadn't scored in the fourth quarter of game five, six, or seven. Joel Embiid, you're the MVP. (laughs) 15 points. Like, I can understand if you have a bad shooting night. Right. Or you go out and it's like, man, this guy shot six for 20 or whatever. But... It wasn't even like he was like going out swinging. It was just very weird. And I think the one of the bigger knocks on Joel, which kind of got exposed in the playoffs, is he struggles to play with his back to the basket when his jumper is not falling. He has a great jump shot. You can't discredit him. I mean, the guy averaged over 30 points a game in the regular season. But what separates him and Jokic, in my opinion, and I think Jokic is the best big man in the league, is that when Jokic's shot isn't falling, he can still put his back on you, back you down, and score. Almost every time. And I felt like Joel never did that. It was disheartening to see him struggle with Al Horford. There were a few times when he had Marcus Smart posted up. He couldn't score on him. And I'm like, this is this is what you were voted MVP for, yep. to dominate those guys. And at the very least, he shoots free throws fantastically. Make them value. Every great scorer knows if you can't put the ball in the basket, like with a field goal, put it in there with a free throw. And then I just felt like... I don't know. That that showing was was pretty bad. I, I felt like they were going to lose that game after blowing game six, but to basically not even show up, and then you got Jason Tatum on the other side going off, I mean, that was that was bad. And I felt like if anybody couldn't recover from it, it's obviously the coach because you're not going to get rid of Joel Embiid. You're not going to get rid of James Harden right now at least. And so the coach is always the first to go. He's got to own it. But I felt like at least for that particular game, game seven, that was more on the players. I don't disagree with you. And one thing I will say, and kind of last thing on Philadelphia here, is don't let, and I'm sure they're not, right? Because you would think at least to some capacity, they are aware of the window that's, I want to say closing, but it's is what it is with Joel Embiid because you never know from an injury perspective and, and give all the credit in the world to him. He powered through throughout this postseason. And even though he underperformed a handful of times in this series, that likely cost them an opportunity to go to the, conference finals and, and return to a place they hadn't been in quite some time. Don't let James Harden dictate what you're doing in your coaching search. And I say that because he's 33 years old. Yeah. And even though there's times where James Harden does things on a basketball floor where, where I'm amazed and I'm impressed, I've never been you know, a diehard in his camp, right? Like I, I admire great scorers, but sometimes his style of play, the way he draws fouls I, I, across the board, like there's things about his game yeah, we've talked that about don't that. jump off the page for me, in terms of things that I like in a star player. But that being said, and this is, again, you're going to read tea leaves all you can, but this is from ESPN.com and their story regarding Doc Rivers firing, which, again, just happened today. Rivers out from Philadelphia after three seasons. They asked him about whether or not that he believed that Rivers should return for the fourth season as the 76ers coach and what the relationship was like. He said our relationship is okay, and that's the, that's the end quote in that regard from James Harden. That player option is $35.6 million this year. And ordinarily, we think that's a lot of green stamps. He could just take that and be fine. Well, 
He's 33. He opts out. He could take, again, this also from ESPN.com, a four-year, $222 million deal potentially with another team or a four-year, $210 million deal to remain in Philadelphia. So there's still another payday on the horizon for James Harden if he wants. And unlike some of the other high-level players of his generation, I mean, again, he's made a lot of money, and I don't know. I don't have his financials in front of me. I would assume that James Harden has, has been smart with his money. Either way, though, you have an opportunity. You don't have a, a, a generational deal on the table for you. You want to cash in any opportunity you can. I say all that to say this. If Doc Rivers being let go had anything to do with James Harden and the sole thought of just trying to keep and retain him then the decision-making needs to be fully reevaluated in Philadelphia. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. You make a good point. I don't think you should base your coaching search off of James Harden. It's not Steph Curry. It's not LeBron James. No, it's not Giannis. It's not Jokic. And I think that he's able to turn back the clock every now and then, but the player he used to be is not who he is now. Now, the rule changes have kind of subdued his scoring a bit. But there is a significant decline in his game. He is not the guy who won an MVP in Houston anymore. Um, The quickness, even just his body, the way it looks, he's not as in shape. I don't know if that's because he's just getting a little bit older and that sort of thing happens. But I would not, one, mortgage my future on him as far as a coaching standpoint, but also financially. I would not give him a four-year max. There's no way I would do that. Now, there might be teams out there that just want to sell tickets, you know, Houston Rockets, maybe you bring him back and you sell tickets and he's able to help you develop your next wave of, of young stars, assuming you got, you know, Jabari Smith down there and another top five pick coming in. But I mean, if you're trying to win now, I don't see how you give him that much money. He's made over three hundred million dollars in his career so far. Um, you know, that's three hundred more than me. But <laughs> obviously if you're a team, you can't um, you know, just throw the money at him and assume that because in my opinion if you did that you would basically be saying we're trying to win it right now like next year and if you do it'll be worth it I think a championship is worth the money at that point but that's a huge huge gamble because if you don't get to the finals and win it I would just say even get to the finals if you don't get to the finals then it's a failure in my eyes and then you've basically um, ruined your future for the next four or five years so um, big decision to make in Philly and then also, I mean, the one that's kind of creeping up in the back of my mind is how much can you depend on Joel Embiid? Because as great as he is, got his first MVP, you know, he's a guy I believe will be a Hall of Famer someday. He gets hurt every postseason. And so there's always something ailing him to the point where he can't be fully himself. Now, I'm not giving him a pass for that game seven because if you're out there, you got to perform. But, you know, it wasn't like he came into this postseason 100% healthy. He's been hurt. The entire time. And so. And there's a gray area there, right? And we talked about that between yep. giving praise for powering through versus using it as an excuse. Because at some point, a game seven, if you're out there and you've had some pretty stellar performances already in the series, you need to answer the call. Like you said, we're not making exactly. an excuse for him, but that context is important. Unlike previous years, he did try to power through the injury. Yeah. And it's always uh, something lower extremity, mm-hmm. you know, with him. And that that's concerning with the guy of his size. I don't think that that's going to get much better as the years go by your body does not get more durable as you get older and at his size and so um, I'm wondering talent wise can he be the top guy on your team probably but just from availability standpoint and a durability standpoint maybe not so 
they've got some big decisions to make. But um, like I said, I'm, I'm more focused on what happens with these ping pong balls because um, when Minyamba, we will just wrap him in bubble wrap <laughs> down here in Indy if that happens. <laughs> Whatever we got to do. We'll, uh, we'll spare no expense in that regard <laughs> to try and protect Victor Wembanyama if he does indeed end up in Indiana. That's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. Got a rolling show for you today. Mike Chappell, the dean himself, going to join us at the top of the hour. He's going to take us through the Colts, his reaction to just the schedule as a whole, where they still need to make adjustments. Then at 2 o'clock, Paul Biancardi is going to join us, head of high school and college basketball recruiting for ESPN.com. We'll get his thoughts on a big weekend for the Indiana Hoosiers as they kind of round out their look for the 2023 campaign. Then Shane Young, who covers the NBA, is going to stop by. We'll get his takeaways, not just from what's at stake tonight with the NBA draft lottery for the Pacers and the other teams in the lottery, but a brief look at the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, which gets started both tonight and tomorrow, respectively. That and more still to come on the Fan Midday Show. Plus... A giveaway, your chance to win Indy 500 tickets, a pair of Indy 500 tickets. We will have that giveaway a little bit later in the show. Have that number handy. Eddie's got a great trivia question for you. 317-239-1070 will be the number a little bit later here on the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. DriveHoo.com studios for the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison. Women Yama Watch, Wemby Watch is the quicker and faster way to do that on the hashtag Wemby to Indy train that James has cooked up for us in terms of positive vibes. Yeah. It'll be a very interesting offseason for the Indiana Pacers as a whole. And another nugget from ESPN.com, the folks over there taking the time to go through all 30 teams around the NBA as they either were bounced from playoff contention or bounced in the NBA playoffs. Of course, there'll be a write-up on the Celtics, the Heat, the Nuggets, and the Lakers once they're all done. But their write-up on the Pacers highlights a lot of what we've talked about. But they also mention an extension watch, potentially, on this Pacers roster. And and once I explain this to our audience, I'm sure both Eddie and James, like me, would think, yeah, this is probably the, the move you want to make. Tyrese Halliburton has the opportunity to do something that has not been done since 2013, That is when the Pacers signed Paul George, the designated rookie veteran extension. That would be a five-year, $240 million contract. In that regard, the largest in franchise history is what Halliburton is eligible for. Loan negotiation there, again, this is from ESPN.com, is the all-NBA language and a player option, and we're not going to get into the semantics there. But again, eligible for an extension, Got to be a no-brainer in terms of where this franchise is at and what Tyrese Halliburton means moving forward, right? Yes, that will be a very easy <laughs> negotiation because it'll be, let us give you a bunch of money and you sign here. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be much pushback, um, very much dialogue, honestly, because he's proven it on the court. I think he can become a perennial all-star as long as he stays healthy. I think he has the talent to become an all-NBA caliber player. 
And then also, character-wise, he's a great representative for what you want for your city, for your franchise. I think the kids can look up to Tyrese. Young girls, young boys, um, parents are very proud to you know go cheer him on. People my age, we're in that same age group. I look at him and I'm like, man, this guy's got a good head on his shoulders. So there's like no one around the Pacers organization I think will be apprehensive towards giving him that much money. I don't think it would change him at all. I think that he's very humble, very down to earth. You know, if you know anything about his parents, you kind of know why he was raised the right way. And uh, it will be quite the feat for a guy from, you know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and someone who really wasn't a highly rated recruit, you know, went pretty high in the draft, but not, you know, he wasn't a viewed as a franchise player, in my opinion, coming out of the draft a few years ago. And so to see him kind of have this ascension is pretty cool. And like I said, it helps when he has all the character to go with it. You know, as a reporter, the best thing about talking to Tyrese was he was the best player, which you always talk to the best players after every game, any sport, but he's the best quote as well. The guy has personality, doesn't take himself too seriously, takes the game very seriously, but himself, no, he's a jokester, um, very cool dude, and someone I think will be here for a long time. And so um, when that happens, I feel like that will be the least surprising thing of the summer for the Pacers. And honestly, if also on the Pacers beat, to let everyone, everyone in on the secret, that story will be pre-written, and I would just hit publish as soon as it happened. So, you know, whenever you're out there and you see, like, stories that come out immediately after something happens, even tonight with, like, the lottery, there's no way you just wrote that in five minutes. It's, just been, it's been written. We're just waiting. And then as soon as it gets announced, you just change a few sentences, change a few numbers, and you're good to go. But in all seriousness, that contract is probably already being drawn up or whatever because there's no way they're letting him feel disgruntled, unhappy, and they shouldn't because they labeled him as their Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning. I remember being in the press conference when Kevin Pritchard said that, and I was like, wow, that's a lot of pressure because those two guys are really good for this city. Obviously, one of them has a statue outside of Lucas Oil. So to have them say that, and that was before he even played in a game for this franchise, and to see it now a year and a half later, you gotta got to feel really, really good about where he is and what it will mean to extend him with this franchise. A lot of people don't know that, the thing about drafts, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though I didn't go the reporter route like you did, like, I, I took similar classes while mm-hmm. in Indiana, so I know people talk about that with certain stories. Mm-hmm. You, you have drafts set up. Uh, my, the funniest thing that I see on Twitter for a lot of writers that I follow is when a game is going a certain way for the longest time, and they need to vent somewhere when it takes a turn. They're like, oh, well, I guess I just got to burn everything I just wrote about this game. Jimmy, Minnesota, <laughs> last year, yep. Colts game. For you. I thought I was going to have the easiest <laughs> night ever, me and Zach. I thought I was going to get out early. It was smooth sailing. <laughs> and then, um, you know, God put on a different jersey for the second half, and it shifted immensely. And so, yes, my story of the Colts winning at Minnesota last year, never saw the light of day, didn't happen. At what point – this isn't the question I want to ask you. I want to <laughs> ask you about your time at the draft lottery. But since we opened this can of worms, I, I, I can't resist – at what point in that Minnesota comeback did you realize, okay, I need to I need to rework this? I think after Minnesota scored like their second touchdown, I believe it got to maybe like thirty three to seventeen or something, and I was like, this is close <laughs> enough to actually matter now. And so it felt like every break that went the Colts' way went the complete opposite after that, and so um, that really was a true scenario of deleting everything you wrote because none of it worked at that point 
and redoing it. I did it in the NBA a ton of times. The NBA is probably a little more frequent because if you get hot from three, yeah. it can change some things. But that game, I was like, wow. And then the NFL is just a little bit longer. There's more stoppages. So you can just feel the like the avalanche happening slowly and then it just you know caved. And so um, that was a very unique oh, experience, yeah. to say the least, because you expect to go into the locker room with a bunch of guys who have been you know, on this losing streak, coming in here, beating a playoff team, and then that doesn't happen. You lose in real, you know, epic proportions. And then even just telling the guys in real time, like, hey, you, you all blew the biggest lead in NFL history and seeing that reaction, not in a rude way, but like they really hadn't known because they hadn't checked their phones or anything. Right. And so to be a part of that, that was crazy, Jimmy. That was something I don't want to relive for sure and uh, <laughs> something I won't forget. Yeah, I mean, you'll have your fair share of comebacks that you're working on game stories for. But yeah, you're historic proportions there, James. You're likely not to top that uh, knock on wood, I guess, in terms of, <laughs> of, of you and your editor's stress uh, throughout the coming seasons. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, obviously, I guess it was all worth it when they got Anthony Richardson. That's what sure. it feels like around the franchise, at least. Obviously, I can't root for the team, but I do you know, root for people to uh, you know, succeed in life. And so I think Anthony Richardson is a great young man. And from that standpoint, you got to be happy with how he carries himself and whatever happens from there, we'll see. But um, yeah, it definitely was an experience that I won't forget and a game I won't forget. And I'm sure no one there would either. I remember it was around the holidays, I believe. might have been around Thanksgiving or something like that. And you're seeing all these kids in Vikings uniforms wearing jerseys and stuff like that and they're all like mad because they're getting blown out and then to have that comeback imagine if you're at that game and you're eight or nine it's a core memory right there yeah and then yeah. vice versa if you're eight or nine you're a Colts fan oh. you know it's it's a core memory <laughs> as well so um, maybe Anthony Richardson will provide some new positive ones this upcoming season the original question I want to ask you though talking about the NBA draft lottery process how many drafts did you have up the night of the draft lottery last year and if you did have multiple, did you have one where they won it? Yeah, absolutely. You got you always got to have one where they win it because, I mean, you don't want to be unprepared. Right. So that's like the easiest one. You got to have one if they win it. And I would say probably maybe two after that. But for the most part, if they don't get number one, and if it's not like number two, then the the article is basically the exact same. You just change yeah. the number of the pick. And so um, you might change the prospects names that you listed, but yeah, you always want to have one where that is a scenario. I mean, even this past season when I was doing um, preparing for the Colts uh, draft, you know, I had a pretty good inclination and feeling that it would be Anthony Richardson, but I did have, you know, other versions where it was like, okay, we'll Levis to the Colts, CJ Stroud to the Colts. Um, for a time there, it was like, preparing for if the Colts trade its number one pick. And so you never want to just be, you know, unprepared. You always want to, you know, if you can kind of sense something coming as a reporter, part of it is being responsible enough to do the work, even if you know, like, for example, going into draft weekend, you know, a few weeks ago, I knew I'm going to write four versions of this story. Only one of them is going to actually get published and the other three are going to be a waste of time. But is it a waste of time if it ends up being sure. one of those other three? So that's kind of, how, kind of how you have to look at it. It's not always fun, but it is uh, better because man, once it happens and you're trying to scramble and catch up, that's even worse in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, you're helping future James out there, so that process, yeah, right? Man, I, love, I love myself. I don't want to stress <laughs> myself out. <laughs> That's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. Still to come, a conversation with Mike Chappell at the top of the hour. Uh, we've decided amongst ourselves 1.30, so bottom of next hour will be your opportunity for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the Indianapolis 500. Got to earn them, though. we got a trivia question for you. I think James is stepping up once again yeah. with a uh, high-level trivia question, though it should be noted just to pass credit around. That's kind of teammate I am. Uh, Eddie Garrison did have a strong question in the wings, but uh, he feels like it's it's more evergreen. We're going to go, this is all I'll say, NBA-related is the trivia today, so uh, prepare as best as you can. Paul Biancardi, top of the 2 o'clock hour. We'll get his thoughts on Mackenzie Mbako headed to the Indiana Hoosiers and how that shapes up the entire 2023 class, both from a transfer standpoint and from what the Hoosiers have coming in from their traditional recruiting class as they get set here in just a couple months as well for the next season underneath head coach Mike Woodson. Shane Young going to join us bottom of the 2 o'clock hour talking NBA playoffs and we'll get his thoughts and just context for perspective about what this NBA draft lottery could mean for the Pacers. When we come back, we'll set the table a little bit, revisiting our Colts conversation from yesterday. We can just set up for our conversation with Mike Chappell here on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd having a great time here on a Tuesday. Sure, it's a little bit rainy, but perhaps a beacon of light, a beacon of sunshine arrives tonight oh. for the Indiana Pacers <laughs> with the NBA Draft Lottery. Eddie Garrison, haven't brought you into the the fray yet. I know you're hard at work over there, but uh, have you printed your Victor Wembanyama T-shirt yet? Or are you, are you waiting until not. the until uh, the announcement actually goes official? Or are you uh, are you shipping them off for the highest bidder you can find if you end up with the number one overall pick? I don't have enough time here in this segment to go into which way I would lean. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. That's going to be tonight, eight o'clock. We are inside of eight hours, and again, regardless of which player the Pacers wind up being projected to get once the order is announced. There is a lot of talent within this draft. Scoot Henderson has been talked about at the Pacers. Somehow get to two as another dynamic piece, but the ultimate jewel that's continued to be just hyped up beyond comparison has been Victor Wombanyama over the last, really the last year. I remember being on a podcast with Tony East last year, his Locked on Pacers podcast, and discussing what this draft class was going to look like and just how electric women Yama already looked a year ago. Yeah, I remember being in Denver last year during the Colts' season and watching Victor Wimbanyamba and Scoot Henderson in like that G League Ignite mm-hmm. um, slash Italian team thing that they had, that showcase they had. Right. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to watch these guys because – Obviously, we can't just turn on the TV and watch either of them right now like we will do in a few years. Um, Not even a few years, just one year or or a few months. But the thing that shocked me the most was just how much hype that both guys got. I know we got... Eddie over here struggling with the with the sneezing Bless and the allergies. Um, he's very blessed, by the way. <laughs> they're, they're horrific right now. <laughs> you know he's uh you know sneezing away all the bad juju around the Pacers uh, and their lottery. Can't have pick. any of it. But obviously, again, I think that the hype is real, and I think when you listen to the interviews and the reactions of other players, that's when I kind of perk up. You know, it's one thing to hear from the scouts. Obviously, you know, every year they say somebody's going to be a fantastic prospect or player. But when you see 
Rudy Gobert, who's played with Victor Wimanyama for years on the French, you know, side of things, he was saying, hey, this guy is for real. And so if Rudy's saying that, you know, as a three-time defensive player of the year, if Victor can become that plus, you know, a version of KD somehow, I'm all for it. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison with us as well. When we come back to Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 CBS 4, we'll talk all things Colts. We'll get his thoughts on the schedule release from last week and a story that he broke and wrote about yesterday about training camp plans and a potential workout combination with another NFL franchise. We'll get that story more from the Dean Mike Chapel on the other side of this commercial break on the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Still having a great time here in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd with Jimmy Cooks and Eddie Garrison. This is 107.5-93.5, The Fan Midday Show. We have the Dean, the Godfather, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Chappell, who covers the Colts for Fox 59 on the line. Chap, what was your reaction to the schedule and maybe having it so front-loaded with division games yet again? Yeah, we had this last year. Uh, was it five of the first seven? Mm-hmm. And we sat here this time last year, and we're thinking we're going to find out real quick. Uh, these guys remember after as bad as the season was, people forget that th- this team was a slight favorite to win the AFC South, mm-hmm. not locally, but but by Vegas and everybody else. And you really kind of thought, with so many questions that they had, that we would have a real good idea what they would be and you know we were thinking that they would they would be a contender and they showed us otherwise uh so but but this is a chance again it, it's a chance to to kind of set set the tone on what you can be even with a you know a, a team that's changes and maybe a young quarterback it's still you know you look at it in jacksonville if you're if you're gonna do anything you got to be jacksonville you got them at home I'd rather have a team like Jacksonville at home early before you know before maybe they've gotten their act together and I don't know. They're still the team to beat. But then you've got you're at Houston and I'm sorry, if if you can't if if you're not up to snuff to beat Houston and they weren't last year, then what are you? They're in more rebuild mode than the Colts are. But then you're at Baltimore, then you're home against the Rams in Tennessee. I it's there again. If, if this team can come out and, and be competitive and not do some of the dumb stuff it did, like playing, coaching, all of that last year, it could be an interesting year. Or they can get behind the eight ball and playing catch up with a, with a young quarterback and a new coach is not the way you want to go into this season. Chap, to build off James' question there, you're going to have to talk me down a bit because I'm a little bit more frustrated with the early makeup of this schedule than James is. And and here's why. A couple years ago, and I know circumstances are different with this franchise because a couple years ago there was still thoughts of, okay, they're in contention for the South. They still believe they're in a championship window, yada, yada, yada. 
and they had scheduled two games against the Titans within the first like eight weeks of the season. Like we didn't get out of the month of October before the series with the Titans was done. And they've done the right. same thing here with Jacksonville. I, maybe you don't know the answer to this. So maybe you can just, you know, at the very least, tell me that I need to quit losing my marbles about <laughs> it. But I don't understand with the way the NFL does the scheduling process why you wouldn't want to have, like they did, a, a flurry of games spread out around the division in the early goings and then save those second matchups for the back end. I, I don't know. There's a there's a rhyme and a reason that why they do things. I think there have been years, I haven't got my schedule here, where they did have a lot of games late. Uh, I, I understand your, your frustration, I guess. I would rather have them early. Yeah. I just would. I, I, I guess the idea is you're going to get the, the idea is to get better as the season goes on and get the quarterback, you know, get things under his feet, whether it's even if it's Minshew. But I would rather kind of have them early, especially when you've got Jacksonville at home. And we, we don't, we know, we know how hard it is to play on the road against Jacksonville. But I, I guess I'd rather know early on what I've got uh, in Houston. At Houston, you know, that, that was going to be the the way that they broke their their winless season opener string last year, and they couldn't even do that. I, I guess the tie was a was a nice step forward over over what they had been doing. So yeah, I, I, I normally don't get too bent out of shape over the schedule. Sometimes it, it's, it looks a little harder than it was. And again, if you, if you look at it, what is it, based on last year's records, it's the fourth easiest schedule right? Yep. Uh, in the league. Well, that, that's a reflection of, of playing in the AFC South and playing against the NFC South. Right. But, but probably the two, you know, worst divisions in the league. But you just play them and you, you just hope that, that they, they show you something early and, and and this is going to be, I think, in most people's eyes, a, a learning season anyway. But boy, you want to, you don't want all the lessons to be. Well, we, we blew that one because of this. We blew that one because of this. You know, play well. And, and normally, if you play well, you know, you win your share. And it's the old thing about. I know Tony Dungy's the first one that really said it right here. Is more games are lost than won. And boy, didn't we see that last year around this team. To clarify, I'm totally with you out of the gate. Like, I love the home matchup with Jacksonville, and I'm fine with going on the road right away to get a barometer for where this team is against Houston because I completely agree with you. You're right. This feels like a roster that is further along than where Houston is right now. My, my main issue is, and again, I'm not even mad about the Titans in Week 5. It's just playing Jacksonville the proverbial favorite right now at least this year for the first time in a long time and having that season series done before we get to even thanksgiving let alone the month of november is the part i'm I'm more frustrated about i guess i'd like that division storyline extended a little bit towards the back half of the season understood i was looking here real quick in 2020 they played five of their last or three of their last five were were division games Mm. Uh, you know, in 18, it was three of the last five. So it, it just sort of rolled in here in 2017. Four of the last six were against the division. So I, I, I don't know if it's just a cycle they're in. Uh, I'm sure that the part of the schedule that the, that the Colts are most PO'd about is no prime time games. Yeah. And, and if I'm the Colts, I, I don't know. 
what my argument is other than, hey, we should be on prime time. Because, <laughs> the, and, the, and the thing that really, the reason they're not is because the league finally, everybody's not given a Thursday night game. You know, they, they, they've changed that. If you, There were twice in the last, I don't know what it's been, six or seven years where the Colts' only prime time game was that Thursday night game. And what did they have last year? Four or five primetime games? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, that's the one that, that they're most, I'm sure, upset about. But, again, after the season you had and a couple of those games were primetime meltdowns. I don't think Minnesota – but Minnesota an afternoon game, a 4 o'clock game, I think, mm-hmm. on a Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you earn you – earn, you know, you earn primetime and you earn 1 o'clock games. <laughs> you, you do. What do they got? Thir- uh, 13 1 o'clock games, I think it is right now. 12 or 13. And you weren't those for a reason. They put you in the 1 o'clock sl- clock slot, b- slot because you're not, there's not a lot of hype around you. That w- We had this several years ago. I don't know whether it was 12 or 13 or whatever it was. And 1 o'clock games, which I tell you, selfishly, I love one o'clock games. <laughs> there you go, chap. Give me, give me, give me seventeen games. Uh, but you, you, normally, the schedule you earn what you get. Now, there's been some exceptions. Dallas, you know, they, they got prime time. Uh, the Raiders. Denver got four. I, it's, I, it's just who, who's that? Who's got four? Denver got four. Yeah, and and that's the Sean Payton, right? He's gonna, he's going to save Russell Wilson, which. I understand what the league does, but but then the league deserves it when late in the season it's Denver and somebody and Denver's awful and Russell Wilson's awful again. But they, they make up they, they they have reasons for what they do, uh, and you're always going to get the Mahomes and this year Aaron Rodgers. You're going to get those high for a reason. They're, they're a draw. They're a draw on on TV even even when they're not playing well. You know Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay always had. It seemed like a, a, an inordinate number of prime time games because they're the stars, and that's what the, the NFL is a, is a star driven league. Chap, last time we talked, you were saying that Anthony Richardson represents hope, and Jim Irsay really rides the hope train. I got my introduction to that last season with the two Lombardi talk. Leaving like my second day on the job, I was like, wow, this is uh, bold. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, not two Lombardies, but how important do you think it is for this team, this upcoming season, to beat Houston and beat the, the Titans? I feel like that's Ursay, you know, at the very least, he wants to be able to say he beat one of those teams, if not both of them. If you got to give him his brothers, it'll be Tennessee. He, he's, mm. you know, he, he, he really. He he knows that over the past whatever it's been four or five years this this has been Tennessee's division with, with Vrabel and Tannehill and and and, and Derrick Henry, but now it's Jacksonville. It just is. You, you just we we've been kind of snookered by Jacksonville over the past where hey maybe this is a year, and then they go three and thirteen. Well, I think I think they've got it together. They've got the young quarterback. They got a coach. They've got young studs on both sides of the ball. Difference makers. That, that's again. That's what this league is. It's how many guys do you have that can turn a game, and they've got a handful. The Colts don't. The Colts need that. So yeah, it it, it all starts, and we get tired of hearing it. But, but it all starts in in, in the division. You, you, when you're division, you got a home game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a home game. I don't care how bad your season is. Eight and nine win your division. 
you got a home game, and then who knows? So that that's why it's important again to come out of the gate and, and I don't want to say be competitive against Jacksonville. That's not good to beat Jacksonville and doggone go down to Houston and it's just, it still boggles my mind that they were oh one and one against Houston last year. <laughs> I mean, you think really? Uh, and, and how much that last game meant to the draft order and everything that happened. It's just unacceptable. It just is. He knows it. And, again, you're in, you're not in the AFC or the NFC East that's just loaded. You're in a division that if you play – if they played well last year, I mean, just win the games they should have and not choked on games, they might have won the division as, as, as flawed as they were. You know, they, they might have mm-hmm. won that division. So it's it's still I don't want to say they're they're it's a winnable division now for these guys I I don't know that they're that far along, but doggone, go out there and at home, hold serve, go to Houston and and show that you're further along than they are, and uh, so yeah I I think that's really important. The Baltimore thing it's it's important to the owner because of the Baltimore tie, but that that pales in comparison to anything. In the AFC South, so yeah, be a factor in the AFC South. You know, it's, it's the baby steps. Get, get your house in order in the AFC South, and then see what you can do elsewhere. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox Fifty Nine and CBS Four here with us on the Fan Midday Show. Chap, you mentioned that the bulk of the weightlifting for the strength of schedule is being done by the AFC South, which obviously the Colts can't control that. That's the division that they're in. And the NFC South being there on paper. When you look at the schedule as it's lined up, not necessarily when Anthony Richardson will be under center, but when all the talk of repetition is there, and even though these are still high-quality players in terms of they've earned their right into the NFL, does that modify or maybe make things an easier pill to swallow to throw him out there at some point knowing that, you know, I know it's the NFL. I understand that there's no weeks off, but it's not like they're going to play a murderer's row of the AFC West this year. Yeah, I I really don't think that's going to factor in. I I think when the kid's ready, he plays. I, I just do. And, again, James there listened to the owner and listened to Steichen and mm-hmm. – they both they, they both pounded repetitions, repetitions, and they're not talking, you know, practice and, and preseason. They're, they're talking reps. You need reps, and and the, and he needs reps. It's just that as long as he's ready, can protect himself, and and they can protect him to some degree with the offensive line, which we're not going to know until preseason. We, we just won't because you, you just can't tell that much in uh, in training camp, even when. The Bears come in here for joint work. There's only so much you can see. You, you can see some, but I, I, I don't know if the schedule really impacts. A lot of times, if you're going to work a quarterback in, it's, well, let's kind of get to the bye. Well, they're not going to wait till November. <laughs> That's not going to happen. So, I, you know, I, I think when he's ready, he plays. And I've said all along, and I've mentioned to James and the guys in the press room, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Gardner Minshew will be more ready to play than Richardson in September. But but how you know how ready is Richardson? And if he's kind of ready, I just don't know what sitting another two weeks yes. in the regular season matters. Because once the se- once the season starts, it's really hard. It's it's really hard to get the number two guy 
any meaningful reps because it, when you do that, you're, you're, you're taking away stuff from your starter who needs the reps to get ready for the next week's game. So I don't know how waiting another month will matter because that the young kid won't get the type of reps he needs. And if he does, then you're doing a disservice to Gardner Minshew. We've had one or two instances over the last several years where one year we thought Jacoby Brissett was going to play, but he had a knee injury and we thought he was going to play. So he practiced most of the week and then he didn't play. They found out Friday he couldn't play and they threw Brian Hoyer out there and he was awful because he wasn't prepared. So it, it, if, if he's ready, he, he, he plays because I don't know how much more meaningful work he can get done once the season starts. Chap, you've been, like I said, covering the team for quite a while now. Um, got any memories from traveling abroad and any tips for me as I do my first trip? I'll be planning that later today on our uh, trip advisor. Stephen Holder didn't help me much yesterday. <laughs> um, kind of just threw me to the wolves. So I'm hoping you're a little kinder. <laughs> we had a good time. It, it's a long trip. I can't, I can't think what the trip was. Was it six hours? Seven, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Now, we went. I've been to Tokyo. And that was a long ass trip. Man. I'm telling you, but no, it, it wasn't that bad, and you'll enjoy it. I'm, I'm hoping to go, so you can buy you can buy me dinner <laughs> in, in Germany. Uh, but it, it, it's a great experience. Again, the, the one of the great things that I've taken from covering this team is is having is being able to go places. I never would have gone to Tokyo. I never would have gone probably to London. You know, Toronto, Canada. You know, who cares? Mexico City was a pain in the ass, but but I really enjoyed London. I, I think we're going to enjoy Germany. I really do. So no, it's just you just kind of uh, w- one thing you, you need to, to learn now that you're working more and more with Bob Kravitz is don't lose your receipts <laughs> when you come home. <laughs> overseas, don't lose your receipts. <laughs> That's something of an inside joke with Bob. But no, it, it'll be a great time, and hopefully we'll all enjoy and go out to have dinner one night before the game. For sure, for sure. Chap, you mentioned my next question a little bit ago, which is a story that you wrote on Fox 59. Dean Mike Chappell takes some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. We now have a clear picture for who will be a part of training camp routine for the Indianapolis Colts. It's the Chicago Bears. You highlighted a number of different reasons as to why the move makes sense. You obviously have the Matt Eberflus connection. You have Chris Bauer and Ryan Poles uh, from their time, Bears GM Ryan Poles, from their time together in Kansas City. Uh, what went into this move as a whole? And me and James were joking about it probably unintentionally but it's human nature the immediate thought in my head went anthony richardson justin fields this, this could be it'll be a fun couple <laughs> days of training camp yeah it's it's always had that and again we, we really don't get in kind of a peek in how the preseason schedules are arranged but over the last whatever it's been seven or eight years uh, except for covid a lot of teams that second preseason game they go to joint workouts and i think coaches really really embrace uh, that that joint work as long as you can do it without having, you know, fights, which you're going to have some scuffles, but that we've had we've had out and out brawls up at Westfield a couple of <laughs> times. But it's really important because, again, you get you get tired of leaning on people you see all the time, so you, you get different looks. Uh, it, it'll, it'll be a great two days. What the game is, is it a Saturday game? So they'll come in probably Wednesday, Thursday, I assume it would be, and it's great time 
and that, that's what we can talk about it later when we get closer. But that, that's why training camp is golden for fans who many of them can't can't afford what it costs to go to games, let alone season tickets. And boy, you can get up there and you see these players up close without their helmets. And now you get the Bears coming in, and this this is still a strong Bears stronghold on on, on a fan base. But uh, it, it'll be a great two days and very valuable for the team. Yeah, I learned my lesson uh, last summer when I came for joint practice with the Colts and the Lions. And I got there early, like I always do, but maybe not early enough. And I parked, I believe, like a mile away from where everyone was. Because I was like, whoa, like I thought I was early, but I, I didn't know I had to be here at like crack of dawn early. So, Well, it's, it's amazing how the media lot gets full with non-media people yeah you know i start this last few tires chat but i was like you know what i like to keep my record clean <laughs> yeah yeah if you do it yeah i don't know how you do it without getting caught because i'm sure you got security cams yeah it's, the problem is it's because we're sharing that time with the indy 11 and i think yeah they, they've been practicing during that time and then you, they allow the volunteer folks god love them seriously to park there so it, it's difficult and I'm not sure who, not sure how early is too early there because people get there early so they can park and you're you just I guess you learned that in your first year. I did and you know I'm I'm learning chap as long as they have a a, a spot for you we're all good. I got I got these young <laughs> yeah. legs, as my dad says, and his favorite saying is twenty anything is still young." So, twenty seven. So if he, if I told him <laughs> that I want to walk, you know, he would be like, you know, you're not my son. So um, I'm learning. Right. <laughs> Chap, last yeah, thing. Go ahead. Go, no, you're okay. Go ahead. No, again, again, it's we we joke sort of about the training camp, and you know, you can park far away, but. What a great setup because, you know, our, our, our media place is, mm-hmm. gosh, 100 yards from the practice facility. It's, it's really set up well. And occasionally, you know, they'll feed us. So it's for us to bitch and moan about things at training camp. We're really sorry, people, because it's really a great setup. Mm-hmm. Chap, last thing from us. I know I'm making you step outside your lane a little bit, but, but James mentioned it earlier, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it at least in passing, that tonight's the NBA draft lottery. Uh, Pacers never had, or never selected, rather, from the number one spot. Uh, Victor Wembanyama is talked about as, as the next great prospect out of the NBA. If the Pacers were to win the lottery tonight and have a number one pick to make in june i know the nfl's king but where would that rank or does that touch anything in terms of the great sports history that this state provides oh it'd be great it'd be again this fan base you know sometimes the media is hard on it because they're they're they don't expect a ton from teams but all you all you have to do for the local fan base colts pacers and all that is give them a reason to believe and give them a reason to, to to really think there's something there, and that would do wonders. This is already a – again, I watch a little bit of them. I don't watch start to finish a whole lot with the Pacers, but they're fun. They're exciting. They shoot threes. Like, if you don't shoot threes in the NBA now, you can't play. Uh, it, 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 you talk about being an older guy. They're guarding people now where you never used to guard people. <laughs> I mean, it's inc- you have to guard somebody 30 feet from the basket. But getting the first pick, it just would be incredible, the excitement, the enthusiasm, which means they won't get it. But <laughs> I think it would be great if they did. It would, it, it would inject a great amount of enthusiasm into this fan base. 
Well, I'll tell you, Chap, I'm keeping everything positive. Thanks for coming on the show today. But I promise you, well, I can't promise you, but I'm hoping <laughs> to promise you, Wimby to Indy, you know, a few hours here. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Chap, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, Chap. See you guys. That's Mike Chappell covering the Colts for Fox 59. Been here for forever. The guy is like an encyclopedia. And it's pretty funny because he does it unintentionally. Like, you bring up a stat, Chap will be the first person to say, oh, not so fast because in 19, you know, <laughs> 87, this happened. And so that's been great. But to his point, Jimmy, you know, this city has had a lot of sports history. And I think that they really want to just get behind franchises that are moving in the right direction. It feels like that's happening with the Fever, with the Pacers, with the Colts. And this feels like, in the Pacers' perspective at least, this would be a huge step forward to not only land, you know, obviously Victor Woman Yamba is the golden ticket, but to just land someone who can help push this thing further along because, I mean, if you can get two paired, I mean, when's the last time they had two young guys on the same timeline that are star caliber players. I know Paul George here a few years ago. We had Victor Oladipo a few years ago. But it never felt like they had like that two-headed monster where it was like, okay, now you got you know some dudes who are going to be here and help you contend. For me, there's a level of, like, yes, we're joking about, to some extent, women Yamato Indy and treating this like, oh, yeah, it's absolutely going to happen tonight. But this would be a different conversation and a different feel today. Like, it's, the reason it's optimism from my standpoint is do I really – Honestly, you know, no, I'm not going to go that route. We're talking positivity, and I don't want to. I don't want James <laughs> to get on me during the break. But if they were in the piston spot right now, and it's only a 14 percent chance to get Wembenyama, Houston and San Antonio have the exact same level of juice there. There'd be more of a sense of nervousness around tonight. Like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm approaching it from a more optimistic standpoint because you know where the odds are. Like, yes, could there have been? There absolutely could have been Pacers. You understand what I'm talking about. Could there have been a couple more losses down the stretch where, hey, yeah, I mean, at least they beat the Bucks in March. Thank goodness they did that. Yeah, like there, there, are, there are areas to look back in the rear view and be like, yeah, they could have set themselves up maybe to a 10% chance or 9% chance, but we've known for a long time now where their odds sit. So there's less of that nervous energy like, you'll be bummed. You're like, all right, well, yeah, we didn't get it. What'd you expect to happen if that's what happens? But it's not going to happen because we're being positive today. There you go. But yeah, I'm sure if you're turned on Detroit Talk Radio right now, it's a level of, yeah, like very anxious, anxiety-driven moments because you have an expectation all of a sudden with a 14% chance to pull it off. Yeah, and I think the Pacers are a unique franchise because prior to last season, I believe the last like top 10 pick or single-digit pick they had was back in like 1989 or something like that. So they're not... Houston, they haven't been the, the you know San Antonio the last few years. They haven't been Detroit, which has been really bad the last few years. They don't bottom out very often. They don't tank, quite frankly. They they really do try to win every single year, which is respectable. And so that's why again, it makes this one so much more important because I just can't picture the Pacers, you know, having a lot of young talent and then putting a product out there that's really built to lose so you get multiple swings at you know uh, getting a great player like I can't see them going the process route where right. you know you get a Tyrese Halliburton through a trade 
you get Benedict Matherin, you get this pick, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to throw those four guys out there and then trade everyone else away and just lose a bunch of games and try again next year. I don't think that's ever going to happen here in Indianapolis because um, owner Herb Simon, he wants a winner, and that's what he's been accustomed to, and I respect that. And so it makes the stakes, in my opinion, a little bit higher beyond just Victor Wimanyamba is because they won't repeat this. There's not going to be you know, six or seven years where you're just like, Oh yeah, those are the Pacers. They're gonna lose. You know, they're only gonna win 20 games this year, and we'll just see what happens. No, I think that they're very um, cognizant of what it means to this franchise, this city, this fan base to consistently produce winning. And then the step or the knock on them has been: Can you win beyond like getting to the first round and being, you know, a team that gives a good go but doesn't really have expectations? Now, if you land someone this year, you pair him with Halliburton, he takes another jump forward. Bendit takes another jump forward, then you have something where you can say, this is a team that is going to be here for a few years. There's going to be some tweaks there, obviously, but you can be proud of that and say it's not just something to get into the playoffs, but do something when you get there. There have been six previous instances from 2007 to 2021 where the Pacers were within this lottery window, regardless of what their odds were over that time, and they they weren't great in terms of their percentage chance to be able to pull out the number one pick the best was last year when they had a 10 percent chance and they ended up falling it went negative for them when you look at just the history of this franchise even those 07 08 09 10 teams that were consistently in the lottery and and we're still getting over a, a lot of things in in the, in the post reggie miller era and you look at where that roster was to your point, James, they were they were never bad enough. Thirty plus win seasons, like like th- this is a team that, to a fault, throughout its history, when they've had down years, they've been hovering around five hundred until maybe the final couple weeks of the season, or, or flirting with it here and there. Never to a point where it's oh yeah, they only won ten games or fifteen games, and you know from just a philosophical standpoint, and I get it because they are trending in an upward trajectory, but. This very well might be, we could look foolish, Eddie, cut this and save it for next year around the draft lottery time. But yeah, if, if you're asking everybody within the Pacers front office, no, I don't think they want to be back in the lottery again next year. They want another step forward, and the fan base wants that as well, which is why I sit here today and you do the same of, yeah, I, I want to give hope of them pulling off the number one pick, <laughs> even if it is only a 6% chance, because... I don't know when the next time they're going to be in a boat to be able to do this. And also, it's not every year that somebody as talented as Wembenyama is up for grabs. Absolutely. And I know this just, you know, being around the league, covering the team, it took some convincing to kind of let or or present to Herb Simon, Pacers owner, last season, hey, maybe it is better to not win these last 10 games or not put, you know, your – 100% best effort out there, have guys going out there trying to, you know, play for their playoff, play-in lives rather than, you know, bottoming out. And I know that really hurt him to do that. And so, again, to come back this year and see the progress you made, I just don't see him as an owner having the pride that he has in his franchise, which, again, I really respect because it can be a dirty game. It can be a nasty game where you clearly know when teams are just not trying to win. I mean, you look at OKC – they were putting guys out there the last few years when it's like, okay, none of these guys are really NBA players. I'm not knocking those guys for going out there and playing hard, but you know, like, if you throw a bunch of guys who were in the G League three weeks ago out there together, right. 
you're not going to win. And so that's the gap. That's the talent gap that you're seeing. And so that, to my knowledge, has never really happened with the Pacers. Now, there's been times where, man, is it really worth it to have Tyrese come back and push the injury, you know, if he's not really 100% with his ankle or something like that? Or, you know, I know because I believe when I covered them at the end of the season, the the big thing was Malcolm Brogdon last year. It was, you know, what's going on with him? Is he healthy? And it's like, he's probably healthy enough to play, but is he, like, is it worth it if, you know, eventually he was moved moved on from the team? But is it worth it if it's going to hurt, you know, your draft, you know, uh, lottery, you know, positioning? And so I think that was one of the few instances where he conceded a few wins for the longer term win, which would be obviously getting a guy like Benedict Matherin, and then this year getting someone who you believe can be a franchise player going forward in tandem with Matherin and Halliburton. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Still to come, Paul Biancardi going to join us top of the 2 o'clock hour, take us through IU's big get within their 2023 class, how things change around expectations and just the hype around what will be the 2023-24 campaign for the Indiana Hoosiers. Plus, bottom of next hour, Shane Young going to join us, covers the NBA. We'll get his takeaways from the last rumblings leading into tonight's NBA draft lottery. Again, that'll be 8 o'clock. Plus, we'll get a brief preview of both the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. But when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the division foes within the Pacers division and what the ping pong balls might change for one or two franchises in particular, depending on how the NBA draft lottery plays out tonight here on the fan midday show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here for the Fan Midday Show. Paul Biancardi going to join us top of the hour. Shane Young, bottom of next hour. Taking us through a little bit of with Biancardi... The Hoosiers having a big weekend on the recruiting scale. Last minute recruiting together for their 2023 campaign. Then Shane Young will take us down the NBA path as well. We'll also get into a little bit with Paul as he does work both from the college basketball and NBA side of things with the draft upcoming. We'll get his overall consensus on the crop of talent that are still working out over at the NBA Combine in Chicago and the setup for tonight's NBA Draft Lottery. Trackside 7 o'clock, Beyond the Bricks 8, and then 9 o'clock, Lakers and Nuggets Game 1. They'll pick that up in progress of the Western Conference Finals. But we go back to the NBA Draft Lottery, and Eddie knows that I've made my decision now where we're at within the clock. This will be somewhat of a short segment because... 145. I, I lied to the audience. That's on me. That's my fault. I'm going to wear the L here. We're not having a negative day. We're trying to get Wemby vibes. But 145, next break, we will have our giveaway of the pair of Indy 500 tickets. So be at the ready. Don't call yet. Eddie's, Eddie's working on stuff, okay? He, he's helping keep the show afloat. So maybe he'll get to you <laughs> if you call right now. But if you're really wanting to get the special treatment, right when we break here in about 
four or five minutes or so, 317-239-1070, we will have a chance for you if you answer a trivia question right. Pair of tickets to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. But James, when you look around the Eastern Conference, and we mentioned it jokingly off break, you would never likely ever see a season here in Indiana like what Detroit just went through. If the Pistons end up with this, if the Pistons wind up winning the lottery, this is not meant to be a negative. I'm sorry. I, you're trying to tell your face right now. You're looking at me with the Jimmy, why are you even speaking into existence? Well, I just, I, James, I have to face reality at some point. If the Pistons pull it off and you're having to deal with Wembenyama and you look at that combined with Jaden Ivey, combined with Cade Cunningham, even with the injury issues that have been there the last couple of years, what does it do for Detroit and how, if at all, does it impact where the Pacers are within uh, the central in terms of where you're looking at things going forward for both franchises? I think that changes a lot. I think that you have a team in your division who would consistently own it, quite frankly, because if Victor hits his ceiling, if Cade continues to look like a a potential all-star that he is, if Jaden Ivey can take a leap, then you have your core. And like I've always said, you get three great players in the NBA, you have a great team for the most part. Now, winning a championship is a little bit harder. You got to have some depth. You saw that with, you know, the Phoenix Suns where you got two really good players. Saw it with um, the Thunder when they had Westbrook and Durant. Exactly. And you might need a little bit more to get over the top. And they even made a finals, right? right? Yeah. But to contend, you get three great players and you're mm-hmm. there in the NBA. And so I think that would be a huge win for them. However, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that. It's it's it will be an example of them basically gaming the system. I mean, it's I understand it. I don't really support it, but I get it. Like, and honestly, if I was a GM or if I was on over a team, I would have to consider tanking seriously, because it's the quickest way to benefit or to reward yourself with the most shots to get a great player. You look at it, Philadelphia did this several times they miss on a couple guys they hit on a couple guys and I know Ben Simmons is like a joke now to some people but a few years ago he was a really good pick and you had him you had him be and you were like wow if we just keep losing and getting cracks at top players then eventually one or you know two or three of these guys are going to stick and that's what it feels like in Detroit it's like okay if we can you know bottom out year after year and continue to just rack up you know, talent, it it helps your franchise. And I remember doing a study last year preparing for the draft. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but statistically, your ability to get a star player at number one versus anywhere else obviously is very much higher if you have that pick. And even in the top five, like after the top five, it drops off significantly as far as all-star appearances, all-NBA appearances, and things like that. I believe even like some, there's some randomness to it. Like with Steph Curry, he was number seven. So for, if you look at the list that we had kind of laid out, the seventh pick had all these all-star appearances and all-NBAs. And it's like, wait a second, all those are going to one player. Not, you know, it's not distributed (laughs) very much. And so again, I I think that what they're doing is smart. But it's also like, ugh, like you're getting rewarded for putting a product out there that you know is not going to win. You know, I appreciate you guys saying Detroit has a 14% chance. 
The positive outlook in me says they have an 86% chance of not getting the first overall pick. <laughs> Look at you. There it is. Back to positive. an 86% chance that the Pacers could have it there. I'm telling you, Is man. that how that works? Is that how the math checks out? That's how it checks works. Out? Okay. Hey, it's Detroit okay. or Indiana. Okay. That's, uh, that's how we're doing it here, Jimmy. <laughs> so I'm not going to check the math on that. You know, been out school a while. Don't have to do too much math unless I'm just adding up, you know, yards at a game, you yeah. know, things like that. And I will say this to the listeners out there, the 50-yard line still gets, gets me confused. And I'm like, all right, so he went across the 50 how many yards is that and oh my goodness thank god for technology but in all seriousness i do think that whoever you know ends up in that top three range really can get someone who statistically speaking throughout history um usually ends up being that superstar perennial all-star type of player and that's what the pacers would want obviously and that's what they're gonna get hashtag wimby yes speaking of things with High odds to happen if you're going off Eddie Garrison's <laughs> math there between the Pacers and the Pistons oh, yeah. uh, for the top pick. You have a high percentage chance to walk away with a pair of tickets to the Indianapolis 500. All you got to do is answer a trivia question. It's your time. 317-239-1070. We teased it earlier in the show. It's NBA related. Take the break. Do some last minute cramming. We'll have that trivia question for a pair of tickets to the greatest spectacle in racing when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Should have brought aviators today. <laughs> I, I, should, I mean, I, I mean, I know the 500 ties, but additionally, thinking about uh, some Top Gun, I should have known that Eddie was going to go back to the well here for trivia time. That's been his move throughout this process. So tip of the cap to you, sir. That and the Delta Force theme song, because that is just such a staple. Mm -hmm. When you think of the history of the Indianapolis 500 with the Paul Page intros, oh, they get me going. Well, there's going to be 500 trivia later this week. But today, for Indy 500 tickets, in honor of the NBA Draft Lottery and the upcoming NBA Draft, we've decided to once again pass the rock to James Boyd. A good question yesterday. Again, because I'm the nice guy that I am. Eddie also had a really good question today, too. But we're going to pocket the racing question for tomorrow in honor of the draft. we got some callers. If you want to join the trivia hour late, 317-239-1070. A chance to win a pair of tickets to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. James, the floor is yours. Where would you like to go? Pick a number one through five. Three. All right. Wayne. Hello. You get the first crack at James' trivia question. You ready? Okay. All right, Wayne. So there's been six NBA franchises who have never selected number one overall. One of them is the Pacers. Can you name one of the other five franchises that has never selected number one in the NBA draft? Oh, boy. Um, so there's five others that have not? Yep, five others. Can you give me any other clues? I think that's I think that's my got, clue. Yeah, that's the only <laughs> clue on the first one. Uh, how about uh, just a team, Wayne? Any team? <laughs> okay, Charlotte. No. All right, has. hang tight for us, Wayne. Good guess. We'll roll through. I got yelled at for that yesterday, and I I. I <laughs> I, I think I know who it, it was, but you I did, did it again. It so I'm too nice, okay? I apologize. <laughs> it's it's that it's that Midwestern hospitality. Uh, we're done with the number game. Dennis, you're up. Same question. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. All right, Dennis. The question is: There are six NBA franchises 
who have never selected number one overall. One of them is the Pacers. Can you name one of the other five franchises that has never selected number one in the NBA draft? I'm going to take a stab. How about the Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers? No, they have had the number one pick. It's a good ah. guess. It's a good guess, Dennis. And that's a good guess because, and I'll clarify the context this time, the question is not who's won the lottery. The question is who's never picked number one overall. Let's go to Joe. You're up next. Uh, I don't either know, but I'm going to try Celtics. No, the Celtics have had the number one pick before. All right, Jared, you get the first hint. Two teams that have not had the first overall pick are in the NBA playoffs. Again, I'm sorry. There are two teams out of the five that have not had the first overall pick are still playing in the playoffs. Mm. Go Nuggets. There yeah, you go. Let's go, Boom. Jared. Well All done. Right. <laughs> Hang tight for us. You got a pair of tickets to Indy 500. Eddie will take care of you and get some information. For those of you that played today, Dennis, Wayne, Matt, everybody, thanks for throwing your hat in the ring. Congratulations once again. We'll step aside. Paul Biancardi joins us next on The Fan. From the DriveHuber.com studio, it is The Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and James Boyd with Eddie Garrison. Our next guest is the recruiting director for ESPN's 100 rankings for high school recruits. He also is heavily involved in the college basketball and NBA game as well, a former coach of the year in the Horizon League at Wright State. He's one of our favorites. He is Paul Biancardi. Nice enough to take some time with us. Coach, first off, thanks so much for making the time as always. And second, I knew I had to reach out to you and wanted to have you on the show this week when the Hoosiers were able to land Mackenzie Mbaco for their 2023 class. Walk us through that process, Coach, and what it's going to do for Indiana this year because it seemed like up until the very late stages, he was going to be headed to Kansas. I think at the very end, it came down to Kansas and Indiana. And that's what he told me uh, right before he made his announcement. He said it was close, trying to figure out which program that he could best fit into. He makes um, no mistake about it. He wants to be a one-and-done prospect, which he has that opportunity if he plays to his ability. And uh, he just felt at the end of the day that, Indiana offered him a bigger and better role than he would have had at Kansas. Coach James Boyd here. What do you think of the job Mike Woodson has done so far? And maybe how does a guy like Jalen Huchifino being one and done influence other guys to say, hey, I can go here, do my thing, and, and move on? Well, I think it impacts it tremendously. Anytime you recruit, a lot of guys recruit NBA players and then they move them along to the NBA and a great selling point. Uh, but when you get somebody coming in who's not a one-and-done prospect and a NBA prospect over the course of time but develops ahead of schedule, uh, th- that's a feather in your cap in recruiting, and that, that points to simply player development, uh, relationship building, everything that you need to do as a head coach and a staff to get someone to kind of go ahead of their timeline. Now, I know Jalen hood Shafino very well. He finished inside our ESPN Uh, top 100, inside the top 25. Tremendous work ethic, laser focus, great defender coming out of high school, and a facilitator and driver. The jump shot was capable, but it wasn't consistent. And he just took on a leadership role at Indiana. When you do that at Indiana as a freshman and you do well uh, and the team wins, 
uh, that gets you to where you need to be. The outlook heading into this offseason after the NCAA tournament ended for for Mike Woodson's group was this was going to be a heavy portal year, right, with how the emphasis is on the transfer portal and being able to have quick turnarounds in terms of balancing between recruiting class cycles while also trying to you know still stay competitive and live up to the expectations of Indiana. When you look at where their overall class was, both recruiting and transfer-wise, and then you add in Mbako how does that change? I don't want to say the expectations, but how does that change the makeup of what Indiana is likely to be heading into your preseason rankings when we get to that point? Well, as you said, the expectations at Indiana are always going to be high. Right. I at Ohio State for seven years, and uh, my time up in Bloomington, uh, they expected to win, and when they didn't win that game, um, you know, <laughs> it was a bad scene up there when you don't win. Um, if you're the home team, now if you're the road team, there's not too many places better than Assembly Hall to win a game, I can tell you that. I love the roster next year. Now, when you look at who's returning, okay, nobody's returning with double-figure points averaging. Malik Renu, uh, Galloway, Caleb Banks, you know, all guys that have scored less than 10 points a game. But it's a really solid group. Uh, expected to return. I think Xavier Johnson um, is still up there uh, in the mix. And um, I, I like the newcomers a lot. I, I like what they bring because they bring talent. They bring toughness. Uh, they bring um, a proven uh, ability. You look at Peyton Sparks out of Ball State. Anthony Walker, not a lot of points per game, but he's a long athletic defending foreman who can finish in transition. Khalil Weir. I mean, he's just scratching the surface, guys. He, he has as much upside as anybody coming back to college basketball. He only averaged six, six and a half points per game, I believe, at Oregon. He is a legitimate low post and face-up threat who can protect the rim with Anthony Walker. And, and then you add Mackenzie Mbaco. Let's talk about him for a minute. This guy made his name in the high school game shooting threes and mid-range. And that's what he does best. And he also can get on the glass. I mean, he is physically put together defensively at the college level, could could defend a three, a four, and in a five, a five man in a pin. So he gives them scoring punch and some defensive versatility. And he has an element of toughness to him. I, I watched him extensively at the McDonald's All American game in practice, drills, the scrimmage in the game. Uh, he knows what he's good at, and he's great at shooting the basketball. So one thing I want to touch on, you talked about you know, having the ability to affect the game in multiple ways and get on the glass and things like that. How do you think Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady, you know, guys who might have question marks or holes in their game, how big do you think this week is for them at the Combine to at least get in front of NBA scouts, even if they don't go, get drafted very high yeah. or where they want to go? How important do you think this week is just for their future in general, whether it's you know going an undrafted route or doing whatever they can to get an opportunity to go to the next level? It's huge. It's huge. Anytime you play in front of decision makers, I mean, you, you get a chance to make an impression. But for Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady, what they need to do is, is what I just mentioned. They need to be great at what they're good at. Mm. If they go into the combine trying to say, well, i got to show these guys I can shoot it, I got to show these guys I can handle it. I got to show these guys I can be an assist maker. Uh, when you try to prove yourself to other people, I, th- I think you, you don't play well. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. I think if you go there and you play to your strengths and show everybody what you do well, uh, that's when you're having a chance to impress. And, and when you do that, 
then teams get more comfortable and confident in their decision-making because they're going to draft you based on what you can do. Uh, everybody knows what you can't do, but they're trying to plug you into their their team, their rotation, their locker room. The interviews are very important uh, for the NBA Combine situation because when they do the interviews, they get to know a lot about the person. They already know a lot about each guy. Uh, they ask a lot of questions where they already know the answer, so they're trying to – they're trying to gauge personality. They're trying to gauge the traits of the players. And that's as big a part as the actual uh, scrimmaging and, and certainly more important than the drills. Paul Biancardi with us, director of recruiting for ESPN's college basketball, as well as an NBA draft analyst. I want to go back to the Hoosiers for just a second, Paul, because you know I, I went there. I, I understand that Hoosier <laughs> fans in general, the expectations are, 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 are raising another banner and they're sky high, much like any other perennial contender. I, I'm not going to ask you to say, are they going to the Final Four with this roster or anything like that? But, but when you look at the offseason they've had, I know you highlighted each of the players individually I'm more optimistic or maybe more excited for this fall, not just because of Mbaka, but just because of bringing in where, because of what this class could look like than I was after realizing, oh, you know, Jalen Huchifino is going to be gone. Race Thompson's going to be out of there. Trace Jackson Davis is gone. Where should expectations be for a program that's always going to have championship expectations? Yeah, you guys don't think there's another team on the court when you play. Like that, right? <laughs> there's only one team on the court. Exactly. The well, I think they're going to be in the top, you know, three or four in terms of the Big Ten, um, and obviously they have postseason um, aspirations, which I think they'll hit. And then once you get in the postseason, and, and you know this from from studying the game so much, the regular season is one season. The conference tournament is entirely different. And then you've got the postseason situation where you've got matchups, emotion, injuries. So many things have to go right uh, at the end of the season. But I think Indiana can have a, a strong year. Uh, I think Mike Woodson, you asked me about uh, what I thought. I had a chance to spend some time with Mike Woodson at, at a couple of coaching clinics over the years, um, four or five years ago. And, you know, I just had a chance to gravitate to him. He, he's, he's an easy guy to gravitate to, to relate with. Uh, he worked for the Knicks. He worked for Tom Thibodeau, and Tom Thibodeau was my college coach. And so, you know, his knowledge of the game from his own coaching, the people he's been with, the Larry Browns of the world, uh, and the love and the real genuine passion he has for Indiana basketball. I mean, you talk about the right guy, the right fit at the right time. You know, Mike Woodson is the man for Indiana. So, obviously, the – NBA draft lottery is coming up tonight. I know you're going to be locked into that. Pacers fans here in Indianapolis are very excited to see if they get their hands on Victor Womanyamba or someone else. <laughs> I'll keep you know hashtagging Wimby to Indy, Indy until, until I can't anymore. But jokes aside, one two players I want to ask about was the uh, Thompson twins. How do you, yeah. as a draft analyst, gauge where they are when they're playing in a – sort of unique league that's still relatively new and maybe it isn't as easy to say, okay, he did this against this blue blood program or he did this against professionals yeah. in a different league like the you know G League Ignite. What about this overtime elite league are you looking at and trying to gauge with those two players in particular? Well, first of all, I saw both twins early in high school before they left for overtime elite. So I had a really good knowledge uh, base of both of them as freshmen and sophomores in high school. And then obviously you have a chance to watch them on film a lot. Uh, they're, they're, they're tremendous in terms of athletic ability, 
and their basketball IQ. Uh, that's where they stick out. And being at Overtime Elite, uh, those two areas have stayed as their calling card. Uh, they've improved. They've become even more competitive than they were. Uh, they're excellent defenders. But your question is a good one because they're playing against each other for the most part. They have some other teams at Overtime Elite. And then they go play some uh, different high school teams uh, from time to time. So you have a chance to watch those games. And, you know, you, you catch them on film a lot. And, and they seem to stick out every game. And, and that's what you, when you're talking about a top five draft pick, you have to make sure that you know that guy is the best player in the game at all times. And what I love about both twins is that they can impact the game. They can contribute. Uh, they can do what the coach wants and what the team needs without scoring. And I think that's huge. Paul, I'm going to ask you a question that might get all of us in trouble. And I'm going to hide under the desk after I ask it. And, and my co-host here, James Boyd, is probably going to get mad at me as well. But since we have you here, I have to ask, is there any weaknesses or negativity about Victor Wembanyama that might lead to him not being the franchise golden goose that he's being portrayed as and as we've seen through his time playing overseas? Well, I've watched him a lot on film, and I had a chance to interview him in August live in France. Uh, we were out there for Bronny James and Sierra Canyon in a tour of London, um, Paris, and Rome. And when we were in uh, Paris, and we had a chance to see his club work out and, and go through some drills, and then we interviewed him during our game, the Bronny James game. Uh, I can tell you this from spending a day with him, uh, he's as impressive off the court as he is on the court. But what could stop him? The only thing I can possibly think of at this point in time is complacency. Uh, but I sense none of that right now. He's extremely humble. Uh, he's, in a, he's a worker. He's a great learner. He, he asks a lot of questions, and then he soaks in the answer. He can process it really well. So you've read about all the outstanding skill. Uh, you, you read about the length and the size and the, the eight-foot wingspan and the touch. The basketball IQ is tremendous. Uh, he needs to learn how to play through physicality. That's going to be an issue the first year, but it won't be a big issue. If complacency creeps in over time, uh, that could prevent him from being what everyone thinks he can be, which is you know, an NBA all-star and, and certainly a franchise-changing talent uh, that can lead a, a franchise to an NBA championship. The other draft question I had for you, Paul Biancardi of ESPN, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan, is let's say we play it out where the Pacers don't end up with the number one pick, and, and we, we get it. The odds are against us as much positivity as we want to try to speak into existence for this city and the state. We get it. When you look at the rest of this class, I know that James already asked you about the Thompson twins, but you look at guys like Brandon Miller, guys like Scoot Henderson, guys like Anthony Black. How much talent is there outside of the the top three, top four of this draft, assuming that's where the Pacers end up? Well, I, first of all, I think that when you talk about Victor Wimbenyama, I mean, that's, that's a franchise changing right, right away. So I, I think then you go two through five, and those are impactful. Uh, draft picks. Those are guys that can certainly be all NBA All-Stars, uh, certainly going to be NBA starters, either right away or, or in time. And those are the guys you want to heavily invest with. And so I think that's where the two through five go. And, um, you know, and then you, you take a look after six through eight, you know, then there's guys that are, that are excellent that can, that can be NBA All-Stars. But I, 
you look at Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, the Thompson twins, uh, those guys get me excited if I was an NBA GM because they can all come in and, and change the direction of your program or franchise or elevate it. You know, look at the Pacers, right? They went from, I think it was 25 wins to 35 wins this year. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that is tremendous. But to go from 35 to 40, 45, that's going to be the hard part. So any one of those guys that I mentioned will, will help uh, elevate that program. You have a phenomenal, I think, general manager in Chad Buchanan. Had a chance to know him when he was with the Charlotte Hornets and the Portland Trailblazers. I put a lot of trust in Chad with his draft picks. So you mentioned Scoot Henderson a little bit. Obviously, he's been the player looked at as the one who would be the number one pick if Victor Wimbanyamba wasn't in this year's class. How good is he to be a 6'2 guard and considered like a no-brainer at the top of the board? Well, he, he's actually 6'3 with close to a 6'10 wingspan, and, and I think he would be the number one pick if, if Victor was not in this draft. He's NBA ready. He's got NBA speed. He's got NBA downhill game. He's an NBA competitor. Uh, he's been in the Ignite G League for two years, so he's been in the NBA circles, if you will, in terms of teaching, in terms of shooting a three-point shot. Now, that's that's the part of his game that needs to improve. He's a capable three-point shooter. He needs to become a consistent three-point shooter. But all the things I just mentioned to you, uh, those are NBA-ready. His speed in the open court, he can go from 0 to 60 in the drop of a hat. Um, physically, he's ready for the NBA uh, competitiveness-wise, he's ready for the NBA. His jump shot, again, needs the most work, but he's pretty good. Actually, he's very good from the mid-range. So when teams play drop coverage, he can get in and make the pull-up. But I would think he would would have been the number one pick if Victor uh, Wembenyama was not in this draft. And then one quick follow-up. How early are these guys put on your radar as an analyst, as someone who scouts guys and looks at you know where they might be coming from? Because for us... You know, we might hear Victor Wimanyamba, and he got famous, I think, generally probably in the last year or so. But I'm sure someone had to see him coming, you know, a few years ago before it became, okay, this guy's a franchise-altering player. Right, and that's a great question because when it comes to the United States kids, I mean, they play every week in the offseason. Every weekend I am either watching an event on film, Synergy Film, or other platforms, or I'm at a live event, or I'm at a camp watching the best players in the country in different classes. I'm watching seniors, juniors, sophomores, and sometimes I peak at freshmen. Um, But when you're looking at players, you you start to build a resume, a a portfolio on them, and you look at, you know, the obvious things first, the physical measurables, the age, and then you start to look at skill level. Certainly you look at competitiveness, and I have a whole series of markers that I'm looking at at a young age. And then you track those guys. You're looking at consistent performances, and then you're looking at dominating performances. And then I try to keep track of, you know, their productivity level. Because some guys, you know, can be like the stock market. They go up and they go down. And, and, and that's to be expected during the high school years. So I'm looking for the guys that separate themselves, that are consistently dominant uh, on the court over the course of time. But a lot of names come at you, a lot of fluff out there, a lot of hype out there right now with social media, so you have to separate uh, what's, what's real and relevant. 
Paul, last question for you. I want to take a trip up to West Lafayette for just a second. Obviously, uh, a lot of a lot of bitter thoughts, at least from the fan base, with how things went in the NCAA tournament last year. When you look at the state of their roster right now, when you look at Miles Colvin coming in, a local product in that regard, and you look at the Zach Eady question of it all, how much about Purdue next year changes based on Eady's decision, and what do you see out of Matt Painter and the Boilermakers in 2023? Well, I mean, if, if Zach Eady doesn't come back, I mean, that, that's a huge blow. But th- this program uh, that Matt Painter has put together and, and played at for such a long time, I mean, they're going to pick it up on a collective basis. So it's not a program where they lose somebody that it's, it's – I mean, he's a dominating player. And, and if he comes back, I mean, they put themselves in the same position again next year, which is a chance to, you know, get to a Final Four. You know, when I say that, it's really hard to do that, guys. When mm-hmm. I was at Ohio State, I mean, it, you, not only do you have to be good, but you have to be healthy. And so many things have to go right on a chemistry uh, standpoint. And then it's who you play against and, and when you play that team. And we saw matchups over the years be, be a big problem. But I think when you look at Purdue, it's the system, right? It's Matt Painter's system. The ability to bring in guys that, you know, Braden Smith was a four-star recruit, wasn't a ranked player, had a fantastic year. Player development system, uh, Matt Painter's always going to be there. They're, they'll overachieve when they're not that talented, and when they are talented, they'll have a real shot uh, to go deep. And if, if Edie comes back, I mean, I don't want to get them overly excited, but you're looking at a chance for a, a, another opportunity to go to a Final Four. You got Lawyer back, Smith. Uh, you got a good cast of characters coming back, and and I love Miles Coven. He's a four-star recruit, tough, thick body, and then I believe they have the transfer from Southern Illinois, uh, mm-hmm. Lance. Yep. So there's toughness with that program every year. Zach Eady gives them the talent that they need to have a great year. He's Paul Biancardi, recruiting director for ESPN College Basketball and NBA Draft Analyst. Coach, always appreciate you making the time for us, and I would assume if I haven't plugged it already, we'll find you across the family of networks throughout the next couple months. There's no other place to be, right, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, Paul. <laughs> Thank you for making the time. Thank you so much. That's Paul Biancardi. Nice to take some time with us here on The Fan you hear a lot of different angles there from him. We covered IU, we covered Purdue, and of course we covered the NBA draft. And there were a lot of conversations with us off the air about what would be available for the Pacers. It gets me a little bit more accepting a reserve for what is going to be out there within this class, whether it's the Thompson twins, whether it is Scoot Henderson being a potential opportunity for the Pacers. Then you dive deeper in, well, do they draft on need or do they draft on best available? Anything really change your perspective of what could happen tonight? Uh, of course, we already know what's going to happen, right, James? I mean, Wembenyama and Indy, I get it. Hashtag Wembenyama Indy. But uh, all things considered, major takeaways from that. I think the biggest thing was what he said about the Thompson Twins because I was so curious about the league they're playing in. I've seen it. I don't think the competition level is as high as it would be in the G League Ignite sure. or the NCAA. However, as he said, if you're constantly dominating and if you're working on your game and if you're Putting it on tape enough, there's a reason why they're consensus top five, top six, top seven prospects. And so that was very interesting to me. And I do think that their athleticism would translate very well to not only the Pacers, but just the NBA in general because they can, you know, get downhill, they can jump out the gym, they have long arms. And so those are things that you look at. And also, I found it fascinating that he peeled back the curtain a little bit about how do you see these guys coming? And, you know, if I ever get the chance to talk to him just 
one-on-one, I would love to pick his brain more about how that process looks for American prospects versus international prospects. Because as he said, you can go see, you know, Scoot Henderson or any of the other players when they were growing up a ton you know, the Nike EYBL, you can go see a lot of these top players all in one place every weekend, every summer. And so that's obviously different overseas. And it still feels like Victor Wimbanyama kind of came out of nowhere, but I'm sure that's not the case. And he was on a lot of radars early on. It's just that he's not giving the amount of promotion and exposure as it is here in America, where again, AAU tournaments are held year round it feels like and you're always 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 playing and so that was interesting but I'm excited because I do think that you know jokes aside realistically if they can get somewhere in that top five top seven range they can get a you know very good player to great player well whether it is through Under Armour whether it's through Adidas and the Gauntlet Series or whether it's the EYBL if you want those one-on-one opportunities, you'd have them. Paul Biancardi does a great job covering all those events. And, and James, I know sometimes you have a little bit of breathing room, even though the you NFL is a 24-7 <laughs> cycle. So you might really have an opportunity there when you cross paths with Paul. Always a great guest. Always good to have a conversation with him about the state of affairs in college basketball and the NBA. Speaking of the NBA, conference finals are finally upon us. Shane Young, Forbes, covers the NBA as a columnist and analyst there, will join us to give his thoughts on the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. And, of course, a little bit more about tonight's looming NBA Draft Lottery. Shane Young with us on the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Still hanging out in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison. This is The Fan on 107.5, 93.5. Midday show. It's been a great day so far. And now we have Shane Young, NBA reporter who covers the NBA at large for Forbes. Shane, how you doing? I'm doing great, James. Long time no talk. Glad to finally be in this, you know, the the thick of the playoff uh, battles right now. So got a couple rounds down, a couple more to go. Exactly. See, this is why I love Shane and my other NBA friends. I don't talk to them for like months, just beyond Twitter. <laughs> and I shoot him a text. He's like, yeah, I'm on. I'm like, yes, we need you. Thank you. <laughs> but um, jokes aside, obviously the – excitement here in Indianapolis is about the draft lottery. Um, I've been spamming hashtag Wimby to Indy all day. <laughs> but beyond that, how deep do you think this draft class is? You know, the Pacers are percentages-wise in like that seven range. But beyond that top five, do you think there are players here who can still help, you know, change that franchise if they were to go that route? So I don't necessarily think they're franchise-changing players. Mm-hmm. I think there's it's actually funny you mentioned it from the indie perspective because I think there's a bunch of players like a Ben Matherin, like mm-hmm. like players that are good and they're going to have good long term futures. But I don't necessarily think that there are a lot of uh, perennial all stars. Uh, you know, someone said this the other day. Like, you think about Mikael Bridges. Like, Bridges is probably going to be. I know it's a random name to think about, but he's probably going to be what like a two or three time all star when it's all said and done. Like, I don't think he's going to make that many. 
um, like all NBA teams or something like that. I don't think he's going to be like an incredibly uh, franchise-altering guy for Brooklyn. I think he's going to be really good. I think there's going to be guys like that, mm-hmm. um, guys that are going to come in and improve throughout the years. Uh, maybe not make it. Maybe not make a huge impact right away. Like I think you saw Ben Matherin didn't obviously like really change the outlook of the Pacers season by any means, but he's a fun, interesting guy. So I think there's going to be a lot of guys in this draft class like that, but but probably not a lot of guys like Victor or Scoot. Shane, we just had Paul Biancardi, director of recruiting and an NBA draft analyst as well for ESPN on. He, to a similar tone that you just had there, basically painted it as Victor Wembanyama can change a franchise. It's not to say that maybe others couldn't below him in this order, guys like Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, but even though there are no guarantees, Wembenyama's the closest thing in this draft, and then it's everybody else in terms of how you're ranking tiers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's going to be a lot of tiers where there's probably like eight to ten guys in that same, in that same tier. Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys that are similar. Um, from what I've been seeing, you know, I, I'm not really big. I think James knows. I'm not really big into, like, draft uh, analysis this time of year. Like, I kind of just like to wait until um, the, the last couple of weeks before the draft to kind of cram everything in just because of the playoff madness. But um, I'm seeing a lot of, like, a lot of wings, a lot of uh, wings that can shoot the ball. Just a, a lot of six, eight, six, nine guys, six, seven guys that, you know, you, you get them into your franchise, you get them under the right – um, training staff and coaching staff, and you can mold those guys into the star. And so I know we talked a lot about, at least through Twitter, you know, the tiers of players, how we view players, and what I've always admired about your work is you do provide a healthy level of information to back up whatever stance you have. And, and I'm saying this all to say, with Tyrese Halliburton, when you look at what he did for this franchise, I don't look at him as someone who could be like a superstar, number one player on a championship-level team. Mm -hmm. But what do you think of the leap he made Mm -hmm. from last year to this year and another leap that he could possibly make going into another season? Yeah, I was just incredibly impressed by Tyrese this year just from from the perspective of I think something that doesn't really get talked about a lot is his leadership. Um, just his mentality. I know it's like, you know, buzzwords that you hear around all the time. Like, it's like intangible stuff that you can't really point to. But I think he is the perfect guy for the Pacers because, you know, was he like 23, going to be 24 next season? Um, he just seems like a mature guy. He just seems like a good, healthy leader for that group. Um, a, a team that really has needed something, someone like that and can make the right play. I think his pick and roll reads have been top five in the NBA uh, this year. Um, I know, he, obviously, Pacers, didn't, it didn't really yield a, a playoff spot for them, but I think, you know, his injury had a lot to do with that. You know, played 56 games. Um, I, I, when he came into the NBA, I knew he was going to be a good shooter just from, you know, if you look at percentages and, and kind of, like, uh, extrapolate that out to what he's going to do um, in the NBA, but... I did not see seven attempts a game, the type of volume, if you combine the volume and efficiency for Halliburton, I kind of didn't expect him to be that kind, that type of gunner from three. And I think for him to get the confidence to, hey, we need to get more of those shots up. We need to create better opportunities. We need to, we need to uh, lean into the threes more. I, that's something, you know, I was covering the Pacers, you know, 2014, 2015, 16, around there, kind of stopped after that, but... Um, you, you would beg those teams. You would beg the Paul George-led teams to shoot more threes. So I, I really think that, that he has a really good understanding of 
what a good team shot pro- shot profile should be, how to get to those shots, um, how to keep his guys involved. And I think his next probably uh, area of growth is maybe finishing downhill, getting to the rim more, maybe um, becoming a better finisher in, in the paint, which, you know, that that's something that any any player in their first two or three years is going to, I wouldn't say you struggle with that by any means, but it's something that, you know, that's where you can look at because I know De'Aaron Fox is what in year six, seven, so mm-hmm. I don't know what he's in, year five maybe, but he finished like 70% uh, in the restricted area this year. It, it, was the, it was the number one thing aside from his mid-range shooting that took a leap. So I think just fine-tuning those areas is where Halliburton can, uh, can improve this year or next year, I should say. Shane Young with us covers the NBA for Forbes. Shane, let's head out to the conference finals now. West finals get underway tonight, 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. You can get it right here as well on the fan. We'll join that game in progress at 9 o'clock after beyond the bricks trackside before that. But Shane, when you look at this matchup between Denver and L.A., obviously much like the Celtics and the Heat, we know it's a bubble rematch. We know all these teams are are wildly different outside of the the Mm -hmm. true stars than they were when they met in the bubble. But first with L.A. and Denver, can the Lakers' defense continue to carry the mold that has pushed them to the the conference finals to this point against this Denver offense? Such a great question because they the, the Lakers have played two series so far and it's been completely different. Like in Memphis, you don't have to worry about as, as much half court execution and movement. It's it's the jaw show, a uh, high pick and roll. If you can shut that down, you're not really concerned about outside shooting outside Luke Kennard. Now the next series was Golden State, just constant motion. Just I mean, you have to count for everything, and I think they did a good job of answering that. The Lakers did. They. They really top-locked their guys, forced them into the paint, and so we're not getting beat from three. And even in the game that Golden State made 21 threes, like they, the Lakers still were more the more physical team and got to the foul line and ended up winning the math game that way. Um, against the Nuggets, it's a completely different animal because if there's one unstoppable force in the NBA – I wouldn't even say it's Giannis because Giannis, you can you kind of have answers for. You can make him a little bit uncomfortable by sending help his way. With Jokic, there is no answer. There is simply no answer. And if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna put Anthony Davis on him, I think Jokic is smart enough and crafty enough to possibly try to get him in foul trouble. And then you're kind of screwed if you're the Lakers. So I think it, 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 the Lakers are going to have to have a interesting chess match between how much do we want to balance putting AD on him. And either wearing them, you know, getting AD worn down for the entire game because Jokic, Jokic is just a machine um, on and off the ball, which you don't ever say about the center. Um, or do we kind of like put hide AD somewhere else, kind of roam, put him on Aaron Gordon, kind of roam off of him, make the Nuggets others beat you from three? Um, it's something that defensively I'm, I'm so interested in to see what the Lakers do. But I guess long winded way of saying I think they can, I think they can figure out a way to. Um, limit Denver's offense, you're not going to stop it because once they start overreacting to something, whether it's the others making shots or Jokic making shots in single coverage, once you start overreacting to something, that's when Denver pick really, really makes you pay and torments you from in the half court because uh, I saw it up, up close and personal with the Clippers. Like the, the Clippers in some, in some games against Denver, they would double Jokic, then he would just pick them apart with the pass and they would create 20 open threes for other people. Um, whether it's Michael Porter Jr. who is yet to really get going. He, he's he got a really – I think this is going to be a huge Michael Porter Jr. series because 
they need guys that can that can get up threes. They need guys that can um, make the defense pay whenever Jokic is, is absorbing all that defensive attention. So um, it's going to be tough. I, I, with the Lakers, it, the, the biggest thing is is how much of the LeBron, like how much does LeBron have left in the tank? Because he saved it all. I think we all saw he's LeBron saved it all for Game Six against the Warriors. He didn't really have a big breakout performance until then. So is he going to be able to replicate that many times? So you make a point about Michael Porter Jr. I think he has the best job in the NBA because all he has to do is just catch passes from Jokic and shoot. I, th- I know you've seen the jokes about him where he doesn't pass at all and he has these g- great games sometimes where it's like 24 points or something on like seven threes with zero assists and it's just so funny that that's become like a narrative. But he's a really good player. Um, now going out east, Shane, what do you think the key is for the Heat to continue to slay these Dragons? Because obviously they seem to make the most of every break they get. Yeah. I, my, dude, it's a good question because Miami, I, it, it sounds so like you don't want to say this about a team that's in the conference finals because they're in the conference finals for a reason, right? They're good. Um, but I think I think Miami just has to pray that Boston misses uh, from everyone else. I think they have to pray that the others miss because – I think they have enough physical tools that he do to kind of, I would say, replicate the uh, replicate what Philly did to Jason Tatum, make him play in a crowd. Um, I remember one game specifically, Game Four, where that was the game that Philly won, I believe, where uh, it, it was, you know, Tatum was attacking the half court, and they just sent bodies at him and, and forced him to turn the ball over. He, he had a, a few critical turnovers down the stretch of that game, and they ended up losing overtime. But it's it's kind of that. Like Miami has to shrink the floor, make him get rid of it. Because I mean, if Tatum's going to beat you in single coverage, then you kind of tip your cap. But um, I, I think they have to force Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White to make shots. And if you, if you, if that happens, then you lose. You lost to the second seed, and you're the eighth seed. Uh, I think Miami has a chance to win a couple games here in this series. But it, if they go down 0-2, I don't think you're beating the Celtics team. Uh, four out of five times. So I, I think they have to steal one of the first two. Shane. Shane, appreciate you making time for us. Looking forward to following your coverage along for the rest of these conference finals. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy every second of it just like we will. Thanks, guys. You have a good one. You, you too. too, man. That's Shane Young for Forbes. Making some time for us here on the Fan Midday Show. We'll wrap things up when we come back with our final bets and maybe final rituals to try to bring Wemby to Indy. Here on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I didn't put any requests in to DJ Eddie Garrison. Wouldn't exactly have been like hype music. This is as good as any bad of the bone you know, I'm not going to complain that far, but I was thinking maybe we were going to come back with something like very, very, very spiritual, maybe like some <laughs> so, so, some Gregorian chants going on. I, I, I didn't know what angle Eddie was going to go with, but Bad to the Bone is, is, is safe and is as awesome as we could have hoped for. Uh, things are going to be Bad to the Bone around here, I feel like, at least in terms of our group chat, if uh, hashtag Wemby to Andy does not come to fruition. At least after yesterday's bets, though, I would say a better chance of maybe making some money with the plays than perhaps the Pacers' odds, unless you're going off Eddie Garrison's math. See if we can keep it going today. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my 
way. This is how I went. I Which, by the way, to clarify, personal attack. Yeah, yeah. To, to clarify that as well, uh, I've made a number of math mistakes before. Eddie's was not a mistake. It was Eddie being funny. I'm sorry, being truthful about the fact that it's just the Pacers <laughs> and the Pistons that have a chance at Victor Webinyama. Let's take a look at today's plays. First in baseball, we're going to take the Seattle Mariners over the Boston Red Sox on the money line. Also going to take the Arizona Diamondbacks as well over the Oakland Athletics. That at about minus 155 and minus 165 respectively on the juice. We're laying it, but those are in some cases, one bad team over the other. Also going to lay one and a half once again on the Padres. They were good to us yesterday. We'll go there again. Plus 100 juice as they host the Kansas City Royals. In basketball, over 27 and a half total points for Nikola Jokic. I'm going to lay the six on the Denver Nuggets as they take game one of this best of seven. Two and one yesterday. Two and one on the week. Eddie, how do you feel about my MLB play? I like him once again. Solid. Let's very go. solid. <laughs> James better. is here. I didn't ask for advice. You're, you're I didn't ask better. for Eddie's help. I did it all by myself. I'm you're, a big boy. Yeah, you're getting better. <laughs> I've got two circles. Both are in the first five. Yankees, Blue Jays. I will take the under four and a half. Domingo Herman has been really good through the first five innings, and I really like Kevin Gosman through the first five. He usually gets beat up that third time around the lineup, so in the, usually about the sixth inning or the seventh, depending on the efficiency early in the game. And then I'm going first five under again. This time, again, the Phillies and the Giants. Got plus 112 on this one. Zach Wheeler, Alex Cobb. Cobb has been absolutely dealing as of late for the Giants. He's given up one run in his last 16 innings pitched at San Francisco. Francisco. This game is in the Bay. I like it because it's not a big home run park. It's one of the bigger parks. Really good for pitchers. Pitch to contact. That's what Alex Cobb does. And Zach Wheeler is a big, big strikeout guy. And the Giants strike out a lot. We'll see how we do tomorrow. James, I have a bet that you might be able to get behind. What if I told you, based on things that we've talked about today, that there is a lock of all locks. Uh, please bet responsibly. Uh, that it could be on the table tonight. Plus 1,200 is your juice for the Pacers to walk away with the number one overall pick. Bet it. Yes. Got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> Wemby to Indy. Wemby, Wemby to Indy, Indy. baby. Uh, there's only eight people now that have used the hashtag Wemby to Indy. I'm not saying you can definitely speak things into existence, but we've been banging on the table all afternoon. If that doesn't get up to – that doesn't get north of 20 – Wemby's not coming here. So that's on you now, listening audience. Hashtag Wemby to Indy. Make it happen. Uh, the trademark has not been filed yet. Yeah, I'm excited, obviously, to see what happens. Obviously, whoever gets him will be very, very happy with the outcome. But he's coming here, down I-65. He doesn't even have to leave. I don't know what else would happen after that. Just get in the car, come on down, because there's no need to say, oh, we're going to weigh all the options. No, you're the only option. Just you. Man, I wish that you were going to take the podium after uh, tonight happens with the Pacers walking away with the number one pick to be that confident because you mentioned earlier in the show, you just know the weighing all the options. We're going to look at every avenue. and You just know it's going to happen. Yeah, honestly, I would like literally tell Kevin Pritchard or Rick Carlisle, like, no, stop it. Stop (laughs) it right now. Like, tell me the truth. You're going to draft this guy. James, had a lot of fun with you the last couple days, and we're not done in that regard. We're going to have you back in here on Friday. I know it'll be a couple days. That'll give you time to fully have your T-shirts made up uh, for Victor Wobanyama <laughs> to Andy again. That's the NBA Draft Lottery tonight on ESPN at 8 o'clock. Still to come today, trackside at 7, beyond the bricks at 8. 9 o'clock, Lakers-Nuggets game one in progress. We'll pick you up there. Special thanks to Mike Chappell, Paul Biancardi, and Shane Young. Podcast will be up. Search the Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcast. The fun continues with the Ride with JMV next.